0: What's up ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to another episode of It Is What It Is, 8Bit.net's news and current affairs podcast. Each and every week we bring you all our takes and all the news you need to know about. I'm your host Jack Cruz and joining me this week, you might know him as the pride of Long Island, formerly of IGN and co-founder of Kinda Funny, the man who inspired
1: the creation of this show from Colin's last stand, it's Colin Moriarty. Oh, thank you so much for the very kind introduction. Uh, I appreciate you inviting me onto the show, and uh, glad I can inspire someone out there to do something positive (laughs) with their lives. Yeah, that's good.
0: Yeah, look, it's I'm not sure how positive it is. Just try and bring a little bit of the uh, the news and current affairs to our listeners. But uh, I appreciate you. That's very positive. Yeah, that's very positive. It's it's uh, it's a true story, you know that um, that you are the inspiration for the show, and not to blow smoke up your ass or anything, Colin, but uh, the way you always sort of spoke about politics and um, talked about history and that made it easy to digest is the sort of how I sort of came about this show and wanting to learn more about politics and and news and current affairs and these types of things, but not knowing all of the nitty-gritty and I guess all the technical parts of it and just wanting to talk to it in a way that any dumbass like myself can just uh can
1: get on and have a listen so try and make it digestible for everyone no i, I totally understand first of all you're welcome to blow as much smoke <laughs> up my ass that you want i appreciate that uh no but it's awesome and 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 it does, it is good it is positive to do this i think that this is a this kind of show and and shows like it are positive forces because I think a lot of us have our heads in the sand, or a lot of people mm. have their heads in the sand about what's going on in the world, and mm. we can all enjoy our video games and our television shows and our books and whatever the case might be, but I think we really got to keep our finger on the pulse at all times about what's going on here in the real world, and so shows like this are a great service, so keep it up.
0: Oh, thank you. Yeah, I think you're, yeah, you hit the nail on the head about sort of, I guess, being more, um, I guess, aware of what's happening and, and paying a bit more attention. And I've said it before on this show, One of, if we can take, you know, and, and there are some positives, if we can take any positive from Donald Trump being a president, I think it's got a lot more people engaged with politics and um, and these types of things. People are sort of wanting to know what's going on and it's more, like I can't remember ever, you know, US politics, especially here in Australia, being in the news so much, it's almost every day that there's a story about something that's going on, um, you know, across the ocean where you guys are. So uh, if we can take any positive from it, it's it's definitely that.
1: Yeah, people have been engaged, on, I think, on, on both or many sides of the aisle since the 2016 election, which is cool because it was such a surprise. I think it was just Donald Trump just represents uh, the anger and the fury, I think, mm. of the American population and the, the inability of American po- politicians to follow through on their promises and do mm. right by us. Mm. And so I think that it was just a right place, right time thing. I think that person could have actually been anybody. Yeah, uh, it just happened to have been Donald Trump. and. You know, I think that him getting people engaged, even if they are diametrically opposed to him, and lots mm. of people are, mm. I think that's still a net positive for our society. And so uh, I completely agree. And I'm always surprised by how relevant American politics is. You know, is or are for the rest of the world, especially the west of the so-called Western world. You're mm. technically geographically, I guess, in the east. Yes, yeah, you're yeah. part of obviously. You're, you're basically a European country to to to, to us here in America. Yeah, um, even though you are on the other side of the world. So uh it's nice to see our politics kind of be relevant to you. But it's sad for us, a lot of us too, because I feel like a lot of people disrespect us and don't look at us as highly as they used to because of this. And you know, I I, I want to spread a message of peace and prosperity for all mm. and. uh Hope that people realize that many Americans, most Americans, almost all Americans mm. um, are completely normal, rational people. And mm. this this chaos does not represent us.
0: Yeah, mm. I think you're absolutely right. And it's it's always that that 10% or that small, like the vocal minority who, the, from the outside looking in, people go, oh, they're all, you know, they're all gun crazed, you know, racist nuts. And but they're not like, that's just the small amount. It's either, it, and I've said it before on this show is it's the, it's the 10% on each side of the Spectrum. So it's the very far left who are so loud, and the very far right that are so loud, and people think that there's no middle ground, whereas the majority of people fall somewhere in the middle um, on most issues and are able to look at things from both sides. But it's the it's the vocal minority who sort of seem to represent everyone from the outside looking in.
1: Yeah, the you know the loudest shriek, and you know I think centrism in a way is this become this dirty word like centrism with a capital C, mm. where people you know. It's almost like interpreted in a comic book way by its so-called enemies and being like, well, we don't really have opinions or we don't really know how we feel and we're kind of pro-choice or we're kind of pro-death penalty. Mm. It's like, no, what centrism means is that, like, I think some people on this side have good ideas. Mm. I think some people on this side have good ideas and so on and so forth. And embracing that mentality um, is what would break the partisan gridlock, especially here in the United States, because what we have is a constitutional republic. We're not a parliamentary system. So. Mm. We send people to represent us, and they just happen to break down into these two parties. We usually, you know, in the UK, for instance, there there is a viable third option. Hmm. You know, like there there is a third option, and then coalition building and all that. But that doesn't that doesn't happen here. And uh, so, I'm actually quite optimistic about the future of American politics. I think Hmm. that this something like this needed to happen. Um, but I think that it's people in the middle and normal people, hopefully like you and I, yeah. uh, that help you know shape our respective countries' uh, futures moving forward. Which I think is something that is moderate and something that is reasonable.
0: Yeah, and I think you're right about that. I think it's broken. I think Trump being elected has sort of broken that the status quo of and like you said, it, it could have been anyone. It just happened that it was this guy that was the the one that people had had enough of. Your you know your your Clintons and your Obamas and your Bushes. They've had enough of your stereotypical politician in the pocket of the corporations and it could have been anyone to break it but it just happened to be this guy so um hopefully it does break the mold going forward and it can sort of swing back to a i guess a more positive and people can look in at the u.s as as a more than you know, the way we used to we look it up to it as a big brother we're kind of now from australia's point of view i feel like we look at you guys sometimes as the crazy drunk uncle a little bit now more than the the big brother that we used to aspire to being like
1: yeah and that you know that's exactly what I was referring to earlier. I think that that's common. I think that's common in not only in Australia and in you know New Zealand, for instance, but also in the u k and in mm. Western Europe and you know I think like we only have like real people are only fond of us right now, like you know in terms of government or in mm. terms of like large swaths of the population seemingly in maybe central and Eastern Europe and mm. parts of south and central america maybe and that's kind of you know that's fine. we want them to love us too, but it it, it, it that does make me sad because I think the United States and I guess I have some bias here. Mm-hmm. But I think the United States has been a wonderful force for good. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that we have lots of, um, you know, horrible things that have happened in our past and lots of, you know, pox on us, mm-hmm. um, you know, our institution of slavery, for instance, and all of those kinds of things. And we can never deny that. But I think that the United States has been an incredible force for positivity, a force for positive capitalism and, you know, dragging people out of, you know, living in poverty impoverished situations mm. and our capitalist system and, and our corporations and our system really has been copied mm. by the you know much of the rest of the of the working world and and it has given us what we have today mm. and so i don't know how any and that's what makes me sad you know yeah. like when people say we're culturalists and we don't really contribute anything but i think we've contributed a great deal and, and that's what's so sad to me about about this is that you know, people can't see through Trump and, and I don't necessarily blame them. I can't stand the man really either. I think he's like really funny, I
0: yeah. think for
1: comic effect, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but yeah. really it's not funny. You know, like no. it, it, when you look past it, it's not, there's nothing funny about it. And, and that's, that's, a, that's a, a sad situation for me. And, and I'm, so, I'm sorry that you guys feel like that about us and hopefully we can get back into everyone's esteem, mm. however that might happen mm. in the future. Yeah, I think so. I think, and I think it's, it is from that probably the the majority of people
0: who aren't as dialed in. Like I don't, I don't, I wouldn't say I, I've, like I can see past all of the, like, I know all the things, the great things. I know. So I have so many American friends. Um, I've been to America a few times. Like I, I know the people I've never, like I've been to, you know, three times. I think I've been to America. I've never seen a gun the whole time I've been there. So it's, I think from, it's that, like I said, that the people who aren't as dialed in, looking in sort of see America that way, um, but, yeah, I th- I, you know, the winds are changing. Thing- things, th- it's not the way it used to be. The world now is different. I love it. So much different to what it was three years ago in 2015, you know, when Obama was president. Like, I, I, it's almost night and day the way things have changed from a political landscape, I feel. Um, I just, I, the thing I've said heaps on this show is that I just hope that we can get to a point where people remember how to talk to each other again without just yelling from each side of the spectrum. Because um, I think that's sort of the nuance of conversation is is
1: we're losing that i think quite a lot in uh in this day and age i can't help but agree with you and and i think that it's essential for us to be able to you know learn to talk to each other again that's what i try to do on my show fireside chats and Mm. inviting really anyone who wants to say anything on my show with you know within some reason Uh, no one's asked to say anything extraordinarily ridiculous um but you know i want to hear people's ideas and i want my my own preconceptions to be challenged if Mm. i never was open to that um, I'd still be pro-life. I you know, mm. I was fiercely pro-life uh, through college mm. um until a conversation with someone changed literally changed my mind about it. Mm. Um if I kept my head in the sand, I was a really vociferous uh, neo-conservative when I was, you know, a young Republican and mm. wanted us to go to Iraq and wanted us to fight in the Middle East. And it's a catastrophic mistake on my part, a really embarrassing thing that I have to own and I have to learn from. But if mm. I wasn't willing to learn from that, mm. Uh, then then I'd be all about these interventions in Syria and Venezuela Mm. and all these other places, but I'm not. So you have to learn, we have to learn how to talk, how to listen, how to reason, how to change our minds. And we have to make an environment where it's OK to change your mind, too. I, I think that that's a really essential and important thing. But if one really positive thing for us as Americans, and I, I don't mean you and I, I mean, mm. we Americans, one positive thing that has come out of this for us is, a, is an amazing stress test, another stress test on our system. Yeah, um, I always thought it was comical. That anyone thought that Donald Trump would be some sort of fascist <laughs> dictator and ta- like it's like I've said it uh, I'm on the record of saying it I think that the, a takeover of the United States for instance a breakdown of our system is almost impossible mm. right like without catastrophic environments like a world war yeah or a real natural revolution disaster. or civil war and yeah exactly natural mm. disaster a civil war a modern civil war something like that that can break our system but no one man is mm. capable of breaking it. And, you know, our system survived our capital being burnt down in 1814. Uh, Our government survived a civil war. We have uh, had uninterrupted primary and general elections in off years and in presidential years Mm. since 1789. Mm. You know, like nothing has been interrupted by anything, by world war, by depression, by anything. Donald mm. Trump's not going to do anything to the system, and this has shown people in modernity. I think mm. that we're just fine. Like our constitutional republic stands very strong. Yeah, so that's exactly. one thing that I take away from it. That's very positive.
0: Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Hit the nail the head. Of, if, if if anyone's going to bring down the U.S., it's not going to be Donald Trump. <laughs> if we're, if you look at it from a just a purely logical point of view, it's not going to be that guy. I don't think. Um. Very good. Well, um, Colin. Uh, just before we get into the news. For the, any of our listeners who might not be aware of your exploits, uh, give us a little little bit about yourself, a little bit of who's your daddy and what does he do. Tell
1: us a little bit about Colin Moriarty and, and who you are in the, to the world. Sure. Uh, my name is Colin Moriarty. I'm a 34-year-old I'm uh, living in LA, in Santa Monica, technically. Um, a lot of you probably know me or would know me from IGN, where I was senior editor for a long time. Uh, I co-founded Kind of Funny, which is still uh, trucking along, and then now I do Collins Last Stand for the last two years. The brand just turned to earlier in March. And uh, we do a, or I do an eclectic collection of really of podcasts. I do mm-hmm. a video game podcast called uh, Sacred Symbols, which is all about PlayStation. And that's kind of our biggest show. And then I do a podcast with my brother, Dagan, all about retro and nostalgic kind of nerdy themes called Knockback, uh, a podcast kind of like we're doing now in a way. Um, although not as, I guess, contemporary with news Mm. uh, called Fireside Chats. And then I do a YouTube channel called SideQuest. So lots of different stuff, all funneled through Patreon. And um, yeah, I'm really passionate about history and politics and all those kinds of things. Mm. So um, I consider myself, uh, you know, there are polymaths out there that are like, know a lot and are smart and can actually function in lots of different (laughs) branches. I consider myself more like a renaissance man where I have just a lot of interests. And I try to pay attention to them as much as I can. And so... Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm, I love having conversations like this because um, I don't get to, I don't get to have them very often. I never did get to have them very often because no one around me, even at my old companies, really knew anything about politics or or were interested in talking about them. Mm. And so it's nice to be able to converse with someone that that's interested.
0: No, thank you, my mm. friend. I appreciate that. Uh, and you've sort of you've gone because you used to do the um, the political videos and the history videos, and you sort of went away from that at one point. You, it was you found it a bit draining. Um, I remember when you sort of, you broke away from doing those videos and I have to say, like, while I was disappointed when that happened, cause I loved the the history and the political videos. And just, like I said earlier, the way that you translated those in a way that the, the every man can understand them. Um, a hundred percent get it now having done this show for 52 episodes and covering the news every week. And sometimes it's, it's, you know, it's fun. You get to talk about, you know, oh something happened with this celebrity said something stupid or Elon Musk. Just smoking a joint with Joe Rogan or whatever it might be. A lot of the time, you got to talk about massacres or you know shitty news stories, and it can get draining. Um, so I I hundred percent understand where you sort of deviated away from those uh, back in the day.
1: Yeah, I, I wanted I wanted it to be true, right? Like I wanted mm. me to be kind of segueing into this political reality that I kind of had always wanted, mm. and it just didn't make me happy. And and much to what you were saying, there's so much out there, you know, so much argumentation and a lot of it is disingenuous and a lot of people out there are just not genuinely <laughs> interested in in hearing different ideas or whatever. And mm. not to bring up a woe is me kind of card or pull that card, but in doing that show and kind of being you know, like we were talking about centrism, like Big C mm. centrism or Capital C centrism earlier, taking shots or taking shots at lots of different positions from all around the spectrum just creates this series of really sloppy Venn diagrams where everyone ends up being mad at you. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And it's a har- it's a harsh reality to kind of live in because you don't, like you're trying to just foster an honest conversation and an honest you know community of people that want to hear those things and you kind mm. of realize that the audience for a lot of these videos, while the audience like us, I think, exists, obviously, there's also an audience that just gleans onto things just to complain, just to be mean, just to misrepresent things. Yeah. I mean, people have said that I've said things and feel things that I've never said and don't feel Hmm. based on those videos, and I always found that really strange because the record's like right there. Like, I can't do anything about it. It's literally all on the videos. Yeah, exactly. Um, So, you know, yeah, so I'm glad to do Fireside Chats, one of my shows particularly, because that Hmm. sometimes gets into politics and history. Um, and I'm happy to do guest spots like this as well. Um, uh, but this is like the perfect amount for me, yeah, without like being, you know, finding myself miserable. So I'll, I'm sorry that you're kind of on the on the beating <laughs> end of that too, because it's it's it is tough. Like yeah. people don't realize that it is tough um because it's not often about ideas and positions. It's often personal. and you know, mm-hmm. like and it gets personal with everyone. Like I was seeing yesterday, you know, stuff about uh, a, pr- a person in american politics where people are even attacking his looks and stuff like that and i'm like, well, like what are people doing mm. like, what is what is the purpose of this you know mm. it's fun to be goofy sometimes and to make fun of that and um to make say this person looks like this person or whatever but to just be like really mean-spirited yeah um i don't i, I just didn't want to be part of the mean-spiritedness it was really affecting me in, in an adverse way yeah so. yeah no I'm, I'm with you i'm with you
0: well colin i guess we should uh jump into the news the verdict is in, kind of. The Mueller report has been submitted. The two-year-long investigation by Special Counsel Robert Mueller into President Trump and his campaign team for alleged collusion with Russia to influence the 2016 election is finally over. Mueller wrote in his report, The investigation did not establish that members of the Trump campaign conspired or coordinated with the Russian government in its election interference activities. However, on the issue of the obstruction of justice, it wasn't as clear. Mueller kicked it over to Attorney General William Barr to make a decision on his findings as he would not offer a conclusion on whether he believed President Donald Trump sought to obstruct justice. Barr stated that Mueller did not draw a conclusion one way or the other as to whether the examined conduct constituted obstruction. And in the report it states, while this report does not conclude that President Trump committed a crime, it also does not exonerate him. President Trump tweeted, No collusion, no obstruction, complete and total exoneration. Keep America great somewhat of a contradiction but uh where does this leave us Colin where it's over it seem seemingly over
1: yeah i guess i thought it would be more over than it really is mm. because there there seems to be i don't know i feel like a lot of this is so clearly relitigating 2016 and just refusing to mm. let go of the mm. results of that election and i mean i i've been really vocal and open for a long time that i thought that this this particular charge against trump Uh, maybe not of his associates, but specifically of Trump, of colluding with Russia. I just Mm. I was like, it's so clearly not true. Mm. Um, And if they had found inklings over this two plus year long investigation, Mm. if they had found inklings of him being some sort of Manchurian candidate or him (laughs) being compromised in some way, Mm. certainly Mueller and his team would have went to Congress and said something. Yeah. Uh, About that. Regardless, I understand that they're doing like the mobster thing. like, you know, like when the feds go after like mobsters, they go after like the the small people, the soldiers, and then they work their way up to the lieutenants. And I understand like that's what they were doing. They're being very methodical. Mm. But if at any point when they were talking to the lower people, the lower rungs in the opening months of the investigation, they were like, oh, he's actually he actually might actually be compromised. Mm. We have some indication of this. Then Congress would have known and this would have gone totally different. So when that didn't happen, it was pretty obvious that. Donald Trump not being sophisticated enough clearly to have colluded in some geopolitical way with a, a force like Russia, mm. um, that this was no, got, not going to go anywhere. I'll totally admit that they did catch a lot of people in the snare for different things, but none of them are related to the core charge. Yeah. Um, and a lot of these numbers are inflated. These you know indictment numbers are inflated because they they indicted like Russian oligarchs and Russian yeah, corporations like they, people they, they're never going to see justice, so-called mm. justice. So these numbers are inflated. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, so, you know, it's a job well done because we all trusted that he was going to get to the bottom, the bottom of this. End. And as far as the obstruction charges, I don't know. Maybe he's guilty of obstruction. I don't know if you can obstruct the crime that didn't, you know, the, I don't know if you can obstruct the investigation of a crime that didn't occur. Yeah. Um. I guess you probably can in process. So I don't want to speak like that. I'm not a lawyer. But, mm. um, I, th- but there just seems to be this dug in nature. You know, Gle- uh, Glenn Greenwald of The Intercept has done a really nice job of exposing... A lot of this in his tweets and in his pieces and, and et cetera of just people just n- running this narrative into the ground and lying to people. And it was so clearly just not true. Mm. Um, and the disappointing thing about it is just that, you know, if you're a person, if you want justice for mm. crime, then, you know, this is kind of a distraction against other things. Like, I'm pretty certain that Donald Trump is probably guilty of some financial crimes. Oh, for sure. That, that wouldn't surprise me at all, mm. you know. Um, but this was a serious charge. Yeah of basically being a traitor yeah. and uh and and i think that this is blown up in democrats face and this is going to be a major election issue i mean he they they basically handed him an issue and i, I really do think has Matt he has manufactured through this uh new support oh I, sure. I i have no doubt about that yeah. for sure
0: yeah and it's yeah it's it, it's going to make 2020 very interesting but the the thing that i i mean obviously there was no collusion that that was pretty evident, like you said, pretty early on when, I remember when this all started happening and they're, you know, subpoenaing, they indicting people and all these things are happening and like, Oh, it's colluded as evidence. And then nothing was happening. I was like, Oh, cool. So something's going to happen soon. And then nothing happened. It was pretty clear that they were scrambling to try and find something. Um, like we all know Russia uh, tampered with the, like they, they interfered with the election, but to, to not be able to find something pretty like pretty quickly when everyone was saying that there was so much evidence kind of the writing was on the wall. The thing that I didn't get when this all finished up was why Mueller didn't render a verdict on the obstruction. Like his job was, he was put in as an impartial, like politically impartial person to do this and passing the buck to the attorney general to make the call to me that kind of went against like the whole reason they did this in the first place. They put a special counsel like what's the point of having a special counsel if he's not going to make a decision. And then it's kind of left it open now for the Democrats to, you know, reinvestigate Trump and ask for the report because they can sort of say, Oh, well, you know, Barr was his, it was Trump's handpicked attorney general. And it's now a political, like it's now seem it can seem optically as a political decision to exonerate Trump rather than, the impartial special counsel that said there was no obstruction. So I just, I don't get why Mueller didn't render a verdict either way.
1: Yeah, that is a little confusing in the sense that it introduces reasonable doubt. Like the the Mm. very, the very, you know, the, the, substantive the substantive nature of our justice system is is predicated on reasonable doubt right Mm. Um, you might think someone did something but unless you really think about it beyond a reasonable doubt then he's not guilty even if you probably think he's guilty right Mm. and so the very act of not rendering a verdict introduces reasonable doubt and therefore tells me that there's no no reason to prosecute which is why i agree with you Mm. like if he just took it a step further Mm. he would have realized well my indecisive nature means that He's probably not going to be able to be, you know, indicted on this charge. You know, mm. so so that that is why it's confusing to me, not that he wanted to step away necessarily, but just that like he was walking down a path for like nine tenths of a mile. And then he just stopped walking yeah. the last tenth of the mile. Exactly. You know? And I'm like, OK, and like you basically because, you know, Barr is going to kind of draw the conclusion that I think Mueller drew. And mm. Mueller's a Republican, by the way, you know, mm. so that's the interesting thing. So there's there's going to be some sort of controversy here, obviously. Yeah. Um, but I know a lot of people are are focusing now on the Southern District of New York and other federal kind of indictments that might be coming down the pipe. But I, I just think a lot of this is lost at this point. I think optically this is the biggest win for Trump in his entire presidency. And yeah. um, I am sympathetic to that. Hmm. Like I, I was talking to someone, you know, candidly, a few people where I'm like, you know, in my mind – being a conservative-leaning person, I'm like this might put Trump back on the table for me simply because it's so clear hmm. that he was fucked with by a partisan media and a partisan kind of justice apparatus. Hmm. Um, but I, I can't make that leap. You know, like, I, yeah. ju- I, just can't. But it, it does, it does make it, it does make me more sympathetic to what he's saying and the plight that he finds himself in in, in terms of his battle with the media which is so clearly dishonest um, yeah. and biased and and has the right by the way to have its own bias it just it, it's it's that it doesn't ignore. it's like it's acknowledging multiple realities in which the other realities don't exist like you can't have multiple realities and yeah. so that's the major problem specifically with the american media but um i think that trump is free, free and clear and i actually think that this um right now I think and I think we're gonna talk about this later in the show but right now I think this makes him uh, the favorite to win in 2020
0: yeah it's left a lot of um, it's it's definitely opened up a lot for him sort of leading into 2020 and it's especially for like the the Democrats and the left-leaning media um, I mean as far as egg on their face is a probably a quite an understatement um, as to how this is all played out uh, because it was all I mean, it was like, the, we saw it from over here, the rhetoric, you know, this whole, the last two years was, you know, yeah, President Trump's a traitor, he colluded with Russia, there's evidence there, we've got evidence, they're going to get him, they're going to get him, he'll be in jail, he'll be in jail, and then it never came, um, so it's, it's almost that, the boy that cried wolf again, it's, you know, it's it's leading into 2016, oh, he'll never win, he can never win this, he's got no chance, he's got no chance, and then he won, yeah. Um, yeah they they continue to outdo themselves the um the u s media
1: yeah absolutely did i mean i have no respect mm. for the american media uh writ large and you know i'll say one interesting thing which is that trump did win you know he did win in 2016 mm. that's that's the thing that's lost on a lot of people he won the game that was played mm. the game everyone wants to focus on is the popular vote but he's not the first president to lose a popular vote mm. he's the fifth person to like it, it's it's like it's not even something that's happened once before it's happened in our lifetimes first of all twice you know and so he won the election and, and people have just not been able to recognize or accept that mm. and you know have you know or say what you want about the man i mean He's ineloquent. He's, um, you know, I actually think he's way smarter than a lot of people give him credit for. I think he's smart, really smart and intelligent in ways that are not necessarily useful to yeah. this particular post. <laughs> yep. um, but I don't think I don't think he's some like walking, talking doofus like everyone thinks he is. I think he's clearly uh, of, of above average intelligence. Hmm. Um, so I think he knows what he's doing. Hmm. But, uh, you know, so I, I know that he he has this kind of this this base, this grassroots base that will support him in many of these states. Um, and he won on this razor's edge in you know, 2016, and that razor's edge is going to exist again, and this might be all that's necessary to kind of hold the line. Mm. You know, it's, it's the Democrats that have to push into and win Pennsylvania. It's the Democrats that have to push into and win in Florida. Mm. It's the Democrats that have to push and win in all these states. And um, you know, I think that this gives Trump a, a substantial and noticeable bump in these states so, you know, and as far as the, you know, as far as the Russian collusion stuff is concerned or the Russian kind of interference, I should say, mm. this, I think, you know, this might not be a popular thing. I think a lot of this has been overblown, not in that it happened, mm. but in, in like how it affected the outcome. Yeah. Oh, the Russians are fomenting disinformation campaigns on Facebook. Like, who cares? Yeah. You know, like like we like I'm not trying to be like, you know, I'm not trying to be flippant about it, mm. but like we do the same shit around the world mm. and have for mm dozen scores of years mm. we're responsible for all of these like upheavals and these revolutions we've installed dictators in places mm. we've inserted our military into all of these places they don't belong and everyone's hand wringing and clutching <laughs> their pearls because the russians have fake twitter accounts yeah the second that i hear that that russia has changed the results of the election mm. that's an act of war yeah right yeah. But this is not an act of war. This mm. I think has been largely overblown. Oh, there are Russian bots retweeting things. Mm. Use your fucking mind. <laughs> you know, if 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 you're so if like if you're so low information that that you get your that you rely upon, you know, fucking ads and Facebook posts from random people mm. instead of just watching debates and getting it from the horse's mouth and mm. reading things, then that's 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 just the sign of a fucking stupid civilization, mm. right? Like that's not yeah, that's anything you, yeah. else. So, uh, so I'm really just so tired of this topic mm. as if we're like so innocent, you know? <laughs> it's, it's, it's the hard stuff that other politicians in the past have said that, you know, Tulsi Gabbard is saying right now about our interactions in the Middle East that Ron Paul has said about 9-11 mm. about how like we re- sometimes you reap what you fucking sow, mm. you know? Yeah. And I think that, like, instead of, like, having a reflection on what this means about us and how we kind of drew this ire onto ourselves and how we can repair it so, again, we can have a peaceful, commercially viable relationship with the rest of the world, instead we want to make enemies of people. Hmm. You know, Barack Obama was on stage in 2012 ridiculing and making Mitt Romney look like a fool for, co- for calling Russia the greatest geopolitical threat of the modern time. And now fast forward. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. And now we're basically in another Cold War. Yeah. And, and what? Did, by the way, what do these people want? Jack, have you ever asked yourself, like, what do they want? Do they want just war with Russia? Is that what the end result is? War? More it's, war? War? It's do we question. could just fight them? Hmm. Fighting? Well, let's just fight, everyone. Let's go to Venezuela and fight. Let's go to Syria and fight. Hmm. Let's go to back, back back to Iraq. Let's stay hmm. in Afghanistan. Hmm. Let's go to the South China Sea. Let's it's, just fight. Let's go to East Europe. <laughs> it's an
0: interesting <laughs> yeah. question. And, and I guess... I, I don't think they want to fight Russia. I think they want to fight Trump. And my... My, I guess if we flip it and we go, you know, we, we switch history around and Hillary wins and there's still this, um, I guess, uncertainty or idea around Russia collusion, do you think the witch hunt is as bad against Hillary? Do you think they go after her and try and prove that she colluded with Russia? And do you think if the shoe was on the other foot, it would have been as big of a. Do you think there would have been an investigation? Do
1: you think it would have been as big as what it has been for Trump? I think it would have hinged on something different. I actually think that Hillary Clinton, let's assume Hillary Clinton, You know, there's really only like 50,000 votes being different that would have Mm. given Hillary Clinton the election, right? Mm. So all other things would have been equal. Mm. Um, The Republicans would have still won the House and the Senate. So Hillary Clinton would have had a GOP Congress Mm. to deal with. Mm. And I think that they would have probably not been too concerned about Russian interference. I think what they would have investigated, probably very unfairly, Mm. um, is the entire... Email scandal and her server, probably Benghazi still, and all these other things. So I think that the situation would have been identical in terms of its vitriol and in terms of its energy. But I think that in terms of what we were concerned about, I I, because I really just don't, you know, I'm not trying to downplay what the Russians had tried to do. What Mm -hmm. I'm downplaying is its effect. And what I'm downplaying is that, like... It just seems to be 21st century information warfare. Mm. Like, we shouldn't want to be victimized by it. We should do all we can to combat it. Mm. But we're, like, wringing our hands and dying on our crosses that the Russians, like, tried to affect the outcome of the election. Mm. Does does anyone remember the 80 years or 70 years of Bolshevism when we were arch enemies with the Russians? Mm. Do you think that they might have been trying to do anything like that during that time as well? Mm. Now this is suddenly... I, you know, you understand what I'm saying? It's yeah. like, what is going on? Yeah. It, it just seems like everyone's looking for problems and trying to manufacture problems and trying to manufacture serious problems. Yeah. And by the way, Russia is a serious problem. Mm. They're a serious problem because they have colonial aspirations, like they're a 19th century European power mm. taking parts of Europe over. They're trying, obviously, to get involved in Venezuela. They're involved just like the Chinese are in, in, in kind of African commercial endeavors. They're a threat but they're not a threat because they're trying to like affect our elections they're a threat because they're you know the oil pipeline for western europe they're a threat because they not they shot an airliner out of the sky and got mm. away with it yeah. they're a threat because they armed they armed a, a civil war they took over a sovereign nation's land that's mm. why they're a threat mm. we're missing the forest for the trees you know what yeah. i mean like yeah yeah i think
0: you're uh, 100% right with that uh, so just last last thing on this, where 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 does this go from here? Is this done? Is this dead? Or do you think the Democrats are going to drag it on?
1: No, I think the Democrats will drag it on, but I think they're going to they're do it at their peril. And I think yeah. you're already seeing somewhat of a split on a lot of, um, well, let me back up. the mm. The Democratic Party is really constituted now of moderate or n- what I would call just normal Democrats. And I don't mm. mean that in a pejorative way, like just your normal liberal Democrat. Mm-hmm. And then there are, your progressive socialists and mm. your democratic socialists and all of that. And now they have a little bit of power. Mm. But what's lost on a lot of people, Jack, what's lost on a lot of people in this conversation is that, yes, the Democrats made big wins in the House of Representatives. They now control the House. Most of those one House seats are in red districts. Mm. And they're going to need to play this very carefully yeah, if well, they don't want to get knocked out really mm-hmm. quick. Mm-hmm. Right? Like the guy who, you know, Doug Jones, the guy who beat, um, you know, the, the, Supposed child molester. What was his name? You know what I'm talking about in in, uh, Alabama? What was his name? Uh, Um, I can't think of his name. mm. Anyway, he won. But if you look at his voting record as a Democrat, he's voting entirely with the Republicans. In fact, he voted against the Green New Deal when most Democrats voted president on it. Right. So these guys are already starting to react to the electoral realities in their home states, in their home districts. And I just don't think that this is going to play very well. So I think what you're going to see like really early on are the Adam shifts of the world. And the Judiciary Committee and stuff start to try to, uh, um, you know, subpoena people and, and people are going to go talk to them and stuff like that. But I think it's going to taper off when they realize that this is politically unpalatable mm. for a lot of their moderate caucus who needs to survive. And that's part of the problem, frankly. Like if the, re- if the Democrats were really in on this and they really felt like something was wrong, they should be able to do it without political repercussions in the immediacy, which mm. go which speaks to a problem to our House terms being two years. I think that's too short. Yeah. Um, But that's another conversation entirely. Um, But so I I think what you're going to see in the immediate three to six months is more of a pursual a pursuant of this. Mm -hmm. And then as we start to move into the debates and the primaries, I mean, the primaries only are nine months away, not even eight months away. So um, once that begins, I think this is going to be a distraction. And what people are ultimately going to expect out of Democrats is what we haven't got out of them for a few years now, which is one fucking idea. Yeah. You know, like just just like one idea that isn't an attack. Mm. on someone else or isn't something that costs $90 trillion. Yeah, Like just like something palatable because I'm all about voting for a Democrat this time. Mm. I want to vote for a Democrat. I brought up Tulsi Gabbard before she's running as a Democrat. I might register to vote for her. I might register Democrat to vote for her in the primary. I am watching and I am paying attention. Give me an excuse to vote for you. Mm. That's like my whole mentality in 2020 because otherwise I'll just vote for a third party candidate again. But I'm perfectly happy to vote for a Democrat just someone have an idea yeah they've got someone to something say to dish up. something you know <laughs> like something other than mm. free college free free the one percent the rich mm. taxes taxes free free no i need some ideas or i'll mm. just go vote for fucking gary johnson the second you know yeah. like yeah. that's fine with me
0: yeah yeah we unfortunately we have the same a very similar issue here but it's on both sides of our Political spectrum. We are basically the same. We have a two party system. We have a lot of independents, but it's generally only the Liberals or the Labor Party who um, who will be in power. And as far as I can tell, these days they're they're almost indistinguishable. Um, no one offers up anything sort of new or interesting. It's just the same thing over and over again. So I feel your pain, my friend. I feel your pain.
1: I also want to say to your point, just mm. to be clear, that the Republicans are a major problem too. Mm. Like. This is the part this is a this party is also a major problem. This is a party that's complicit with not necessarily Donald Trump's ideas, many of which I think are totally fine, if not good ideas. Mm. It's it's the demeanor and the nature of the man. And I want to see someone in power in the Republican Party stand up and be a sacrificial (laughs) lamb and primary Trump. You know, Mm. they will not win. They will not win. We have not had a primary of a sitting president since, what, 1980, Mm. I guess, is the last time we've had a serious contender. For a primary, for a sitting president. Um, but I want to see someone serious about this. Do you think – And um, I want – I think John Kasich has got to yeah, be that guy. Someone the, that can peel off a few states and at least make Trump debate. Mm. You know, and show the people that we're not all in on this. Yeah. You know, um, yeah. there's a lot of – you know, if, if we can accuse the Republicans of one thing, it's that they're fucking cowards. Yeah. You know, and so yeah. – um, I, I, I won't say that about the Democrats. I don't think the yep. Democrats are cowards. Mm. You know, I, I, they're, they have a lot of problems, but I don't think mm. they're cowardly. I don't mm. think that's one of the problems. Yeah, it's,
0: it's pretty much Kasich <laughs> or no one as far as the um, the Republicans go. He's really, really the last one standing, I guess, as far as a, who would challenge um, Trump for for 2020.
1: Yeah, I think so. I think he's playing it like he is at least thinking about it too. Mm. And mm. the other thing that we have to really concede – is that the time is right for a third party, a viable third party candidate? And I don't mean a viable like he's going to win the electoral college, but someone like Ross Perot in 1992. Ross Perot won 18% of the vote, 18%. Mm. You know, he's probably, although it is very controversial, he is probably the reason Clinton won at all. Mm. And so we, I think, the time we can cultivate, and I think are cultivating an environment where people are like just we just want any anyone else. Yeah. You know, like and that's kind of the confusing thing with Bernie Sanders to me specifically, Mm -hmm. not Mm -hmm. only from the Democratic standpoint, but from his standpoint, Mm. he's not a Democrat (laughs) and he can bypass all of this and run. He would run a powerful third party candidacy, Mm. you know, and I I think that if I were a Democrat, I'd be confused why he's even running in our party. And I would have a problem with him running in our party because he's not even a declared Democrat in the Senate. He's not Mm. a Democrat. Mm. You know, like he's an independent so um, so it's not that only the right can have a third party candidacy as well. I think that the time is right for not a Jill Stein, but for someone like a Bernie Sanders to run as yep. a left wing candidate yep. and say, like, we don't want to run in this binary. Yep. And so, you know, but again, we don't have a parliamentary system. So our system just doesn't reward that. It can't reward that. The yep. best that we can hope for, to be perfectly honest with you, and this is not something that people even think is po- or a lot of people don't know is possible and could happen, is if no one reaches 270 electoral votes. Then we mm-hmm. have no winner. Then yeah. the House of Representatives picks the winner. And then you can get a third party. Because let's say that you have – let's say that the House is split 51-49, right, mm-hmm. in terms of percentage. Mm-hmm. And let's say that the Democrat, the Republican, and the independent candidate all run somewhere in the 30s. And they all have – are splitting like 90 or 100 electoral votes each. Mm-hmm. Then the compromise candidate in the House and in this, you know, might be like, well – we're not going to vote for the Democrats and we're not going to vote for Republicans. This third choice is obviously our choice. That's how you get a third party president. Um, And so that's really the only way you could possibly have that. Mm. Otherwise we're going to be stuck in this binary forever. Um, But that goes into the electoral college and all that kind of stuff, which is for another day. (laughs) Well, uh, we're on on this train now, so we might as well, let's, let's shift it around. Let's go
0: straight into uh, what we think is going to happen in 2020. So I wanted to get your thoughts, Colin, on 2020 election. Obviously, like you said, primaries are not far off. I who First of all, who's your pick? Who's going to win? Gun to your head. Uh, who's winning 2020? I don't
1: know. I, I think Trump's going to win. Mm. Um, but it really does depend on who the Democrats put forth. Mm. Like, I think that there are certain Democrats that play really well against Trump. I think there mm-hmm. are certain Democrats that don't play well at all against Trump. Mm. And I actually think that there's a lot of confusion about who's who, right? Mm. Like, there's mm. this weird... I'm sorry, but there's this weird theory that, like, Bernie Sanders would be a really viable Democratic pick against Trump. Mm. Bernie Sanders is going to win North Carolina. Yeah. Bernie Sanders is going to win Florida. Bernie Sanders are, – are you kidding me?
2: Mm, Bernie mm. Sanders
1: is going to put Arizona into play. No, he's not. Yeah. He, now, uh, Bernie Sanders would win New York. He mm. would win California. Mm. But he wouldn't pick off many of the states that you need to win. Yeah. So even if he picked off – like, he would pick off maybe Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. But he would lose – North Carolina he would lose maybe even Virginia and so there's just all these weird things where you gotta I really think the most viable democratic candidate is going to be the most normal and moderate person and so I really default to Joe Biden yeah Um, that was that was what I was gonna and he's not even running you know like that that's the the time we're recording this I don't think he's declared yet you know Mm -hmm. like um I think he has this exploratory committee and he's certainly acting like he is Mm. um but he to me is really intriguing simply because I find him palatable first of all I'd vote for him Mm. And the second thing is, yeah, I think he's perfectly moderate. I think he's really like a gaffe machine. I think he says a lot of weird shit. (laughs) There are politicians like that. I totally get that. But the really interesting part of him Mm. and what I think is super effective against Trump specifically Mm. is his blue collar working class roots. The way he talks, he rolls up his sleeves. He's from a working class community in Delaware. Um, and he can speak to those Pennsylvania communities in Western Pennsylvania. He can go to coal country in West Virginia. He can go talk to factory workers in Michigan. He can win those guys easily. Mm, mm. and without though without that, trump's Trump's entire thing collapses. His entire candidacy collapses. Without blue class or I'm sorry, blue collar working class mm. white voters in like a half dozen states, those are the people that you should target. If yeah. you're the Democrats and that's where he got, you change their got minds and you, and you win. Yeah. I'm sorry.
0: That's where he got 2016 was he went to those hey. the, 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 helping people get their jobs back. That was his, you know, it, how he got those guys.
1: Exactly. Pennsylvania for, I mean, first of all, he won Wisconsin, which mm. is, which, you know, and I, I don't know how deep, you know, American politics, but like no one even thought Wisconsin, like no one talked about Wisconsin. Mm. Like it wasn't even, that was a blue state Yeah, and he won Michigan, which is, A purple state, but really leans blue because of its union leanings and all that because of car manufacturing. But Pennsylvania, like Pennsylvania has been called fool's gold in American politics for Republicans for two generations. Mm. No Republicans just ultimately always lose. Like Reagan was the last Republican to win and they he goes in there and just fucking wins, Mm. you know? And so you have to just you have to just pick off those states and who can pick off those states someone who can speak to the people in suburban pittsburgh the person who can speak to people in indianapolis the person who can speak to people um in flint and you need to have you know some some fides to do that Mm. so you can't be a fucking bernie sanders going into some of these communities here's the thing and this is the this is what i fundamentally think people misunderstand about midwestern voters specifically Uh, but i think american voters generally americans don't really want handouts yeah. They want to be told that they can work and earn what they're getting. Mm. And they don't want people going around into these into these, you know, community halls and churches and stuff and being like, we're gonna give you free this yeah. and we're gonna give you free that. That might play in San Francisco. Yeah. That might play in uh, in New York City. That doesn't play on Long Island where I'm from. Mm. We're Republicans. Mm. That doesn't play for us. That doesn't play in New Hampshire. Mm. You know, that doesn't play in, in North Carolina. Mm. That's certainly not gonna play in Indiana or in Ohio. You need to go in there and tell them we're going to get you jobs, we're going to make taxes low and we're going to give your children opportunities. Mm. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. They want to know they want to know that they can earn it. They don't want to know that it's going to come from some benevolent fucking force in Washington D.C. Yeah. And whoever speaks to those people wins. Yeah. And right now the person who speaks to them is Donald Trump. Mm.
0: Yeah. Well, that's that's it. So, do you think there's anyone else? Do you know is is Beto O'Rourke a chance to to step up like he's you know he's he's got a lot of support people seem to like him I like him I think he's he's got a nice swagger but who who else is is there anyone else like Bernie Joe like Hillary not gonna go again I wouldn't have thought no I can't
1: ima- I cannot imagine Hillary I would love Hillary Clinton the one I think that'd be fucking awesome <laughs> mm. that would be fucking awesome mm. that would be the icing on the 2020 cake for all of us oh right like but no, she. I mean, I think she would want to run, but I don't think she. I think she understands she can't raise the requisite amount of money again. Yeah. Um. You know, uh, Bernie Sanders is a totally legitimate threat to win mm-hmm. the Democratic nomination. I just think that's a mistake if yeah. you're a Democrat. I think Trump dismantles Bernie Sanders. I mean, that's my opinion. I've said that for years. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So may, we might actually see that play out. I think that 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 is more likely now than it was in 2016. Mm. Uh, O'Rourke. Um. I don't really see the allure in O'Rourke. I don't really see, like. He's like you know the classic Generation X. Mm. You know, like I was reading something about him. I carried it as a novel in his pocket. And he drives <laughs> his, you know, he drives his like Ford Explorer or whatever. He drives around and stands on top of it and gives stump speeches. And yeah. but the reality is that he comes from an immensely rich background. Yeah. Um. He really hasn't done anything, and his and his claim to fame is losing a Senate race. Yeah. You know, like I. So I don't really see. I don't really see that playing out for him. There's just. The thing is, is that there's just too much competition. And mm. I think even candidates that people think are pretty promising, like mm. uh, Cory Booker or Kamala Harris, I mm. think these people are pretty boring. I think that liberal circles, once they get out of those liberal circles and we start seeing the caucus in Iowa and the primary in New Hampshire and particularly in South Carolina and Florida, what I think you're going to find are some pretty unusual candidates winning these races. Mm. Um, and I think that you're going to have a very similar um Everyone's destroying each other's situation, like you had in the GOP in 2016. Yeah. and I think Bernie Sanders is the one that survives. You know, yeah. like um, I ju- I think there's just too many people that are just the same. Just like, it's, this is exactly what happened to the GOP. Yeah. Why is Kirsten Gillibrand running? Who gives a shit about Kirsten Gillibrand? <laughs> you know, I'm not even trying to be mean, but like who, like why? What is your purpose? Who do you think you are? Mm. You know, like it, like at this time in this moment, yeah. Against this field of very very capable candidates. No one's going to question Kamala Harris's background mm. as a litigator and a mm. prosecutor. You mm. know, no one's going to question um, the the background of, of some of these candidates uh, and and the bona fides of some of these candidates. Who the hell are – Joe Biden was the vice president. Mm. You know, so I think you just have to really – Play by the books and be very moderate and smart and peel off voters. Mm. What what I think the left is trying to go for is like a landslide, like really overwhelming victory in, against Trump. Yeah, that's what they tried to do against him in 2016, and it backfired. Yeah, it's not going to You remember that? You remember that they were really bullish about turning Nebraska. Yeah, their, their their loose vote, which is fucking that that they focused on and did turn that 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 hanging vote, and that they thought they would turn Arizona. What they really should have done is gone to Wisconsin. Mm. <laughs> you know, like. So uh, you have to just play smart politics and focus on, again, this very small sliver of voters and turn them and you're going to win in and it's going to be a margin. Hmm. You know, do you think uh, that's it? Do you think there's any
0: chance we'll, we'll ever get that um, Joe Biden, Donald Trump boxing match that was promised way back in the day?
1: No, I, I would love for that to happen, but I, I highly doubt that. What you might get is a is a figurative boxing match on uh, three debate stages in October of 2020 <laughs> between them. Um, and that's not going to go well for Donald
0: Trump. No, I wouldn't, you know? I, would say. I wouldn't. I'd like to see Joe Biden run because the rest of them, like you said, like I'm not that deep in, but the rest, you know, you look through some of the names. Elizabeth Warren, uh, you know, Julian Castro is another one that people are talking about. Like none of these people were like, yeah, and this is from someone looking from the outside in, obviously, but... Yeah, for me, I think Joe Biden would be the best, just purely on the being able to go head to head against Trump.
1: Yeah, there's just there's no doubt about it because he's like he's religious, mm. you know, which is interesting. Um, I think he's Catholic, so I don't know how well that's going to play with the evangelicals. But <laughs> mm. um, but he is religious. He's I think a God fearing man. He has a story, uh, you know, of tragedy and loss that mm. I think a lot of people relate to. He lost tragically his son, mm. um, who asked him to run for president. Uh, you know, what's so funny too is that. I had been saying for a long time because he is a little bit advanced in age. I think he's in like his mid-70s. Yeah. Um, is that he should make a one-term pledge, which a lot of people don't do. That's a very 19th century thing in American politics to do. Um, John Pol- uh, James Polk rather famously did that in the 1840s, um, ran for one term. But there's some rumors that he is actually going to do that, that he's going to like immediately announce that he's running for one term and immediately announce his vice president as his successor, basically. Mm. Um, and I was like, oh, I should be a political theorist because that was my idea. <laughs> Yeah. Uh so um so I think if he the other thing that's possible is that he doesn't even declare until after the primaries begin. You yeah, know? Okay. So um he needs to win New Hampshire, so he needs to get in before New Hampshire. But he might let the caucuses go and let the field then and everyone spend their money on each other. Yeah, what would be yeah. the benefit of that is just to let them sort of take each
0: other out first and then come in and Pick up the scratch. Yes, yep.
1: yes. First of all, the Iowa caucus, this isn't so much true with the Democrats because Obama won the Iowa caucuses, mm-hmm. but the Iowa caucuses are not generally indicative of who wins mm-hmm. um, because it's just a really weird state. There's actually a really great 538 podcast about this, Okay. Um, about this very thing, about how these states don't really represent the electorate, um, and so it's weird that they go first. Hmm. So uh, I think him sitting out, yeah, lets them, it lets the herd then a little bit. And allows him to kind of accumulate money because I doubt he's going to make an anti-PAC pledge that a lot of other people have made. Mm. Uh, for people that don't know, PACs are, are uh, political action committees that spend money on behalf of candidates, but they're not in the candidate's literal wheelhouse. So okay. Biden doesn't have to raise money. He, he can have PACs that are raising money and spend money on his behalf. Mm. And so when he gets in, then he'll draw all of this gravity. Because let's say like someone really unusual wins the Iowa caucuses and the Democrats start getting really scared. Yeah. Then Joe Biden comes in and says, oh, I'm here. And yep. uh, and we'll take care of this. Everything's fine. And then he goes and wins New Hampshire by twenty points. And then he you know marches to the White House. I think that's the advantage. Um, mm-hmm. the, the, adva- the the advantage too is that him getting involved early gives him plenty of time to fuck it up. So he he needs to get involved late because he's su- he is such a gaff machine. Yeah, and, um, <laughs> yeah, he's got some zingers, doesn't he? Yeah, he does, but I find him very endearing, and I know mm. a lot of Americans do as well. Like he, mm. Uncle Joe, is what everyone you know is like his kind of nomenclature. Yeah, he's got know?
0: he's especially from over here. He does you know from our like like not a lot of people here are really dialed into the U.S. politics, but he is one that people sort of that he's in yeah he's endearing. You know, he's that that Uncle Joe, the sort of weird guy. There's all the the Joe Biden memes about with him and the bromance between him and uh, and Obama, and people seem to like him. So um I I hope he has a crack at it, but I, I don't honestly <laughs> like. I agree with you. I think Trump's going to win. Like, I think he... I, I i didn't used to think that. If you asked me a year ago, I would have said, no chance. He's going to get... Like, who's going to want to vote for this guy? But I feel like the 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 media and the... Dem- just the way that they've conducted themselves over the last two years has really just emboldened trump supporters and gotten him more supporters people who would have might have just been in the middle or non-voters might have might be going like why is everyone picking on this guy like he's getting his jobs he's doing this he's doing that um yes he's loud and obnoxious and says some ridiculous things a lot of the time but he's getting some stuff done um so i think i think he's he's he, like if i was to say who was going to win he would be my pick
1: yeah i think that he has to be like the favorite right now mm. uh, the thing is is that he's almost indestructible like i i don't mm. know what could even come out about him that would yeah, affect know, right? it that's that's the major thing is that like he's un october surprisable, right he's like su- no one can have an october
0: surprise.
1: yeah like the october surprise from the last election should have destroyed him right yeah, the, the whole uh, access hollywood person. thing yeah if that didn't if that didn't destroy him yeah. In fact, that might have cost him votes in the last minute. That might have even been a more overwhelming win for him. Mm. And you might imagine that with time, a lot of these people come back. The people that mm. might have had a problem with him shitting on John McCain, mm. the people that might have had a problem with him making fun of, you know, men, you know or, uh, physically disabled people. Mm. Like, those people kind of forget. Like, they move on mm. and then they're like, oh, yeah, Donald Trump. Yeah. Like, um, so I think that he has to be the favorite. And I think that he is a formidable candidate, mm. um, specifically because he's Teflon and yeah. and I don't know how you Hillary Clinton was befuddled if I read her book, hmm. um, which is a really interesting book, and uh, about the election, and you know there's an admittance there that like, man, like we really didn't know how to deal with this person because yeah. nothing works like none, yeah. there is no reason there's no reasoning with this man uh, it was and water so off a duck's you, back, wasn't it yeah, because. If you carry yourself a certain way, then you can just – like, if you set the baseline so low, which is basically yeah. what happened, Yeah, and, and, like, you're kind of just well-known to be flippant with your language and you kind of lie and kind of spin the truth and hmm. p- people like you and you're entertaining and you give these really rousing, like, rallies that fill up arenas and stuff like that, people forget um, that, you know, that you might not be telling the truth or that you kind of bend things a little bit and all of that kind of stuff. And so um, – yeah, he has to be the favorite, and a very specific candidates are going to need to get through the Democratic primary to challenge him. Mm. Um, otherwise, I think it's going to be very much like two thousand four, where you'll remember Bush lost to Gore in two thousand in the popular vote, but then was kind of like you know really beat Kerry not overwhelmingly but beat him by about mm. four points, and mm. that was like his. That was kind of like, you know, I am really the president now. And I think a a situation like that could happen for Trump. Um, Mm. Trump's going to win men. He's going to win white people. He'll win Republicans. He's going to win independents. The Mm. thing that makes him a threat is that he is whittling into minority voting blocks that have reliably voted Democrat. Because I think he is saying something interesting to these people, you Mm. know, to these different groups of of these ethnic groups in America, Mm. which is to say like, well, like, like, you know, um, black unemployment. Is record lower alive. than it's ever been right now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Hispanic unemployment is at a record low right now. Mm. Like, why are by you know? And, and the other thing about Hispanic voters and Black voters specifically is that they're values voters. Mm. Um, you know, Proposition Eight in California, um, which was to legalize gay marriage in 2008, uh, failed. Mm. And what people don't know is the only group that voted for it in terms of, um, if I, I have to remember the stats specifically, but I think white men and white women were the only plurality of people that voted for it. Right. Black voters actually voted against it, even though you would think it was a liberal position and that they're yeah. liberal. And Hispanic voters voted against it, even though they're liberal voters typically because yeah. they're values voters. Wow. Now, whether that's right or wrong, they're religious. You know, uh, Hispanic voters tend to be Catholic. Yep. Yep. Um, there's a lot of Protestant, Baptist, etc. in the black community. Um, mm-hmm. And they they're pro-life, you know, like they're – um they believe in like you know a prosperity gospel and stuff Mm. like that sometimes Mm. and so you got to speak to them and he is speaking to them and and so his numbers with those minority groups were way higher than people expected in 2016 and i think that they have the 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 chance to be even higher in 2020 and i think that's a positive because Mm. someone should be going around and saying like why are we voting based on immutable characteristics isn't that weird yeah that's a weird thing to do why are we doing that yeah listen to what's coming out of my mouth and vote on that yeah it's interesting um yeah, and so someone needs to say that. And and uh, I think that that's a positive. You know? mm. There was that sort of... that move, I don't know if you remember the
0: last... Sort of mid last year, there was that movement of like the... Um, like walking away from the Democrats or Democrats going liberal now or something like that. And there was a lot of sort of African-American... Like there was some, a lot of... There was a lot of sort of racial connotations behind it, but there was a lot of African-American people who were going, why am I voting Democrats just because they're Democrats? Like I'm voting... Republican going forward because they're giving me my jobs they're they're doing all these things for me they're not just liberal and I'm voting for them because um, right so it's, right it's and I and I
1: it is interesting and, and this has actually happened with uh, the black black voting bloc in the United States in the past mm. um, generations of black people voted for the Republicans specifically because of Abraham Lincoln mm. and. Abraham Lincoln was, you know, and the radical, he wasn't a radical Republican, he was a moderate Republican, but Mm. the radical Reconstruction Republicans that, you know, the first black people served in the Senate and in the House in the 1860s um, because the, the environment had changed so radically, and it wasn't until Jim Crow, unfortunately and mm. the the troops not occupying the South anymore, that this was kind of reversed and we found ourselves in segregation in really terrible times. Yeah. Um, but black people reliably voted for Republicans, even though the situation deteriorated well beyond their need to vote for the Republican Party. Mm. It wasn't until um, really FDR, and even really later than that, um, after World War II that Democrat or that black people started to really break away for voting for Democrats. It's the same thing with the Cuban community and specifically in Florida. There were rep- reliably Republican voters going back to Eisenhower, you yeah. know, because of what happened with uh, the communist takeover in Cuba. So yeah. what we need to go, you know, to go to these different groups of people. We need to ask them, like, why? Why is it OK to even presume to judge you as anything other than an individual let's yeah. talk about ideas and let's have you vote based on what you feel in your gut not what tradition di- dictates or what what you just happen to do every two mm. or four years because mm. you're taken for granted and that's totally ridiculous i find that so cringeworthy and i find mm. it fucking racist yeah you know like like that at the end of the day like it, it it seems racist to me to just be like this is how black voters are always going to vote yeah. You know? Let's just yeah. go after like like we're going to go after the Hispanic boat by being for uh open borders. Like how mm. fucking offensive is that? Yeah. You know? that's yeah, a good point. What like it's it's bizarre, you know? Mm. Like so
0: anyway. Yeah, just to assume that they're going to go that way um, just because it sort of takes away their individuality.
1: Yeah, exactly. Oh, Hispanic people happen to be the ones that are often illegal immigrants. So of course Hispanic people in America support illegal immigration. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. What? Yeah, you know, yeah. like that doesn't make any sense. Mm. So that's uh, a good point. They, in fact, in fact, why have you ever asked them? Have you ever spoken to them and 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 asked them as individuals what they might feel? Mm. You know, and presented them different arguments, and not just treat them and take them for granted, and then wonder why these big voting blocks don't show up.
2: Mm.
1: You know,
0: fascinating. <laughs> like,
1: fascinating. It, it, I don't know. I find it interesting, but maybe maybe Absolutely. others don't. <laughs>
0: Absolutely. Well, um, that that was. Amazing. <laughs> um, again, just not to blow smoke up your ass, Colin, but I could listen to you talk about uh, politics for years. It's, uh, oh, well, thank you. I appreciate it. That's very kind of you. Thank privilege. you. Uh, but we should, we should, let's move on to, uh, to one of our other news stories. <laughs> the Egg Boy story rolls on. The young man who shot to fame last week for smashing an egg over the head of independent Senator Fraser Anning has spoken publicly for the first time regarding the incident, defending his actions. Appearing on Channel 10's The Project, Eggboy stated that he had actually gone to listen to Anning to talk to see if he could change his mind and that he wanted to forgive him. However, as history shows, Anning wasn't able to sway the young man as he still cracked the egg on his head. Eggboy did acknowledge that what he did was the wrong thing, however has justified the incident by saying it has united the community and the money donated for his legal fees, which is now somewhere in the vicinity of $70,000, has gone to help the victims of the Christchurch shooting. So Colin, I wanted to get your thoughts on this incident. This is a very Australian story, but some has some has reached many parts of the world. Did you first of all? Did you see this Egg Boy story at all covered over in the states? Once it, yeah, it
1: it was. It was. I mean, I get most of my news, frankly, via social media. So, Mm -hmm. and then I click on stories from there. Um, So, uh, yeah, it was making the rounds here in the states. It was trending in the United States, and and yeah, I saw it. Um, And (laughs) I hate to put it in these terms. It it kind of reminded me of like. The little brother of the Richard Spencer situation, mm. in a way, where where Richard Spencer was punched in the face, yeah, the Nazi um, by punch a person. The, yeah. This wasn't this wasn't nearly as violent, no. and I don't presume to know this politician. I think this politician is pretty well known to be um, racist and bigoted and 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 such. Um, yeah, we, so I'm not he, disputing a that. Of as shit
0: it. is how we sort of describe him over here.
1: Yeah, I mean that that seems to be you know I don't want to speak out of term, but that seems to be my interpretation of him it's, from what little I know about on. him. Pretty spot on. Um, but this kind of reminded me of that just in the sense of like I just feel like people need to stop putting their hands on each other. Yeah. Um. I'm not saying that smashing an egg on a man's head is equivalent to punching him in the face. Mm. Um, but I am saying that like that. And, and he admitted he acknowledged like it's it's mm. it's just not necessary. Mm. I think the overreaction of like hitting the boy yeah. um, is obviously a big part of the story as well. But I do try to step back. Like, if someone walked up to me and smashed an egg on my face, I don't you know probably how I'd punch. Yeah, you're probably going to. Yeah, I, 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 I mean, I'm not going to yeah. sit here and say that, like, I wouldn't go after you. Mm. So I'm not going to, like, necessarily, like, why would you do that to me? Yeah. You know, like, yeah. that. You like you're, that's my body, mm. you know, my space. Mm. Don't put your hands on me. Mm. I don't think, I'm not really a violent person, so I don't think I would have, like, struck a man or struck a boy <laughs> yeah. in this case. Uh, But but I, I don't necessarily want to get caught up in there in that because I'm like, I don't know what I would, you know. But mm. I, I, this to me just says, like, bad – the best disinfectant, right, is sunlight for bad ideas. Mm. Um, doing stuff like this isn't necessarily going to get this this, this backwards uh, senator uh, new adherence, but mm. it's going to get him some attention. That's all these people kind of thrive mm. on. Mm. Um so, you know, and the, and the kid kind of going like, I went to talk and have a dialogue. Well, why did you have an egg with you?
0: Yeah, that's the thing that sort of jumped out to me. When He's like, I actually went to try and listen to what he said and forgive him. But he's happened to be armed with an egg. I was like, mm, that doesn't
1: quite that doesn't quite fly with me, unfortunately. Yeah, it's a little strange. So, like, mm. it's certainly I'm not excusing the gentleman's uh, stances. So, again, we've we've discussed how you got. I mean, it's more important how you feel about him than mm. I feel about him. But I think we're in mm. agreement. Um but at the same time, I think that this is just another reminder of the ratcheting up in a more comical way. But, mm. but the more the rat the ratcheting up of of politics going beyond the wor- word and ideas and debate and all that kind of stuff. I mm. just don't want to see us normalizing anything that's strange. I mean, this is yeah. the equivalent of throwing a tomato at a stage. I understand that. Yeah. Um but, I, I, you know, it was really unpopular for me to, you know, with a lot of people for me to defend Richard Spencer back in the day. But I'm like, you just don't put your hands on people like this yeah. is not how we this is not how we operate. Uh, um, unfortunately, Richard Spencer is allowed to be a neo-Nazi. Uh, mm. uh, that's just the reality of the situation. You mm. know, I don't presume to speak to the freedom of expression laws and all that that you have across the Pacific Ocean. Mm-hmm. But I know that, you know, I think we are in the same spirit at the very least. Um, and I, I just think violence is a last resort sort of thing and fi- yep. physicality. Is a last resort sort of thing, um, and I don't want to overplay the meaning of an egg being smashed on an asshole's head. Hmm. But again, it's representative of the moment and the time, you know. Yeah. Um, and, and I just, I just like this person, this specific person with these ideas, is so easy to dismantle. You don't need to smash an egg on his head. Yes, I mean, I read, I read, I read his statement, right? I mm. read what he said about the Christchurch shooting. Mm. It's ridiculous. Yeah, like that's enough. Like we can, we we know how ridiculous it is. Make sure he's not. You know, and he wasn't he put wasn't he elected by some sort of weird snafu or something? Yeah, like it's like,
0: w- he, he he got a, he wasn't elected, but the person elected in his seat was removed from parliament because of uh, citizenship issues, I think. So he wasn't even
1: really properly elected. Right. So, again, this is going to be re- rectified at the ballot box mm. and, I, and, and possibly there might. I, I, again, I don't presume to speak to your system. Uh, But there might even be remedies for his contemporaries, for his peers, to have him removed or censured, you know, as we do in the House,
0: yeah, and in the Senate. So, yeah,
1: right, exactly. So, like, let the rule of law, Mm. you know, take care of this. Mm. And my assumption is that he has the right to those backwards and abhorrent ideas. Mm. You know, we have to just accept it. Mm. You know, like in 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 the ecosystem of ideas and debate and all that kind of stuff. you, You, frankly, you have to have people like this you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, otherwise you don't really know where the limits are. At least we know the limits are like far away from norms. Yeah. You know, like that's kind of like nice to know. It, it's kind of like how I feel about like the, um, the, the crazy fucking racist we have in the United States and the crazy communist and socialist we have here and etc. Mm-hmm. It's like, at least you know where the edges are. You know, I don't yeah, know yeah, exactly. a fucking single person. I've never met a person in 34 years that agrees with these people, you know, no, like, no. So, okay. They exist. Uh, that's that's fine. You know, mm. they're not going to... They have no power. Yeah. That, that guy in Australia has no power. Yeah. And David Duke or whoever has no power. I think we have to remember that. I think we're giving them power. I think yeah. we're giving it to them.
0: Yeah, yeah I think so, yeah. And, uh, the hard, the sad thing is that people like this, especially in Australia, have supporters and have unashamed, loud supporters. And like I, like we spoke about you know, at the start of the show, it's always the very vocal minority. And it's, and it's the, the absolute... Minority really speak up for these guys, but race is such a systemic problem in this country and racism and that. But to, I guess to touch back on the before we get too don't want to get too deep in on that. But um, I, I agree 100 percent with what you said about the egg boy actions. Like, and I said this last week at, at the moment in the moment when I saw when it came up on social media because we'd all seen Fraser Anning's statement, we'd all gotten angry about it and upset, and then we saw the um you know the next day the egg boy you know attack or whatever you want to call it incident um and at the time it was this guy's a legend australian of the year um give him a medal this that and the other and upon reflection yeah i sort of i do agree with you like i and i did say last week on the show is that we can't like you can't stoop to one are you stooping to the level of of that and you can't not because what happens if it if it happens on the other foot and someone does that to someone say on the other side of politics, the right, you know, we all get up in arms and angry and, and, you know, ab- about it and grab our pitchforks and that. So we can't, if, if it's okay, if we normalize that kind of behavior, it becomes okay for other people to do it. And, it, and where's the, where's the limit? Like, where's the line today? It's an egg tomorrow. It's a water bomb. Then maybe it's a brick or something, you know, that could actually hurt someone. So we can't
1: right, normalize exactly. that kind of behavior. No, you don't want to, um, It just brings us to bad places. And I see a violent tinge, uh, not in the modern left, but in the fringe left. Mm. Um, It exists on the right in some spaces, too. I mean, we can't deny and and would never deny that a woman was killed innocently in Charlottesville in Virginia by a white white supremacist at the Charlottesville uh, March in 2017. Mm. But just generally speaking, when you see the the gatherings at colleges for speakers, when you see all Mm. these things kind of going unhinged, it always seems to be this weird left-wing far left-wing violence and that we and have this to, kind of stuff exa- exactly and mm. i find it peculiar that anyone would stand by and even tangentially support something like this because mm. it devolves our whole ability to speak to one another and normalize um our political differences mm. and reduces it to the barest essence of violence which is like the most primordial thing every being on the planet every species is capable of violence it's it's we that are capable of doing more than just fighting right mm. like doing more than just you know best man wins in, in a in a grudge match kind of situation mm. like we can mm. work our we we are sophisticated you know like we can do better than this and yeah. that's what i want us to focus on so yeah this is of course a throwaway thing it's it's not this overt act of violence that's going to start a world war, nah. but it's just again it's just another thing that's indicative, specifically for your society now, yeah. of of what's happening. And um, hopefully we can just nor, you know normalize. I'll say it again: peace and prosperity. Um, yeah. And vi- you know I'm not anti-violence, right? Like Me. I'm not like a I'm not a Buddhist pacifist <laughs> or something like that. There's a place for violence. We yeah. had a violent revolution in the United States. We violently ended slavery in a civil war. We violently subjugated the Nazis and the Japanese Empire, mm-hmm. um, and we've been subje- subjugated to violence too in losing efforts in Vietnam. I mean, we, mm. we we are a. If anything, America is known for its violence. Unfortunately, yeah. What I want us to be known for is less violence. That's it. Yeah. Like violence in self-defense only. Violence yep. in the infringement and sovereignty only. Otherwise, mm-hmm. like no violence. Keep your hands to yourself. Um, and it's like you said, like you came to the United States and never saw a gun, right? But mm. there's more guns. We all have we have guns more than people. Yeah, yeah. you know, um, they're here. Mm. So like, let's just continue down a road of peace and prosperity. So you never see a gun, right? Yeah. Like that's kind of yeah. the idea. So yeah, I, I don't know. I, I just I'm concerned because I think we're reaching a flashpoint. Yeah, um, with what's going on in France, with what's going on elsewhere in the world. I'm I'm concerned. You know, mm. I'm concerned. Mm.
0: Yeah, and it is concerning, and, and there seems to be, and like I said, it's it's where's the line? Like, where do we stop the if if we okay? And the media over here has sensationalized this kid. Like, he's, he's become a martyr almost. Like, you know, the, he's this. He's got the you know, there's posters and murals and things being painted in the city for him, and it's become it's been it's definitely been blown out of way out of proportion. But the thing, like you said, is worrying. Is like what? Like, where's the line? Like, what's the next thing that happens that we we okay this someone that's maybe not quite as um yeah yeah this is just a stupid kid who was trying to get on social media like that's what he was doing. he was filming it on his phone when he smashed the egg on his head like that's that's all that he was trying to do but what's the someone who's maybe not as you know stable just goes and I'm going to do the same thing I'm going to become this you know sensation and does something a little bit further down the the line like it's it is worrying and um we just need to be careful as a society in our media specifically needs to be careful about how we portray these things because we don't want it to become people to think that it's okay to do this stuff
1: exactly and uh people have to take responsibility for their actions mm. that's that's the other major thing is that we just ascribe responsibility to anything and everything that isn't the person who did the deed mm. unless mm. it's unless it's convenient so like for this yep. senator it's obvious to ascribe his own motivations and his own responsibility to his words, to his statement. When I read that statement, I was like, well, this statement is ridiculous. And it was clearly written to elicit the exact response it got. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And even with the Christchurch shooting, which is such a fucking unnecessary tragedy Mm. of epic proportions in a society, by the way, that I didn't really know was capable of that kind of violence. Yeah. Which was another interesting, you know, (laughs) socio-political... Almost anthropological kind of thing, where it's like mm. I didn't know. We're always that violence is always ascribed to my society. You know, mm. it, it was it was really sad and interesting to see um, that happen somewhere else and be like and and watch it from the outside and how people yeah. kind of handle it. Yeah. Um. And you know, I I just I'm concerned, like I said, with this with this inability to kind of identify responsibility as a person, mm. um, and not necessarily an idea. Um, In a consistent way so that we know that, you know, it's not a video game's fault and it's not, um, you know, a book's fault. It's a person's fault who decided to do the horrible thing, you know, Um, and or the thing at all. And so Egg Boy, I don't think he did a horrible thing. But he did it for his own reasons, just as this politician said his abhorrent things for his own reasons. Hmm. Um, And so we have to just take them on their own – on their word and at their own, like, edge of personal responsibility and kind of leave it there. Otherwise, these things seep into everything else and create excuses and create more martyrs. And the whole battle over, like, terrorism and and, and fundamentalism in the Islamic world right now is just being ratcheted up because no one will stop.
2: Yeah.
1: (laughs) You know what I mean? Like – (laughs) <laughs> like it just gets escalated one after the other after mm. the other after the other after the other after the other, instead of everyone just reducing it um, to its barest essence and figuring out the problems. Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree. All right, let's uh, let's move on to our last news story for
0: the morning slash evening, depending on where you are in the world. The 20th Century Fox and Disney merger is officially complete. The deal we heard about way back in November of 2017 has been completed. For a cool sum of $71.3 billion, Disney now owns 20th Century Fox and all of its television shows and movies. We must note that, however, Rupert Murdoch still retains full ownership of Fox News. So... With some of the biggest properties in entertainment history now falling into the control of the entertainment Goliath that is Disney, we must ask, is this a good thing? Colin. Disney. They own The Simpsons now. They own Aliens. They own The Exorcist. They own Predator. They own a lot of properties now. Star Wars, the, the, the unfucked versions of the original Star Wars trilogy. What, what what's your take on this do you think this is good this is bad where
1: does this sort of leave the entertainment world I think it's categorically bad um mm. if you're a fan of entertainment I, I think from you know some people have like a like a trust problem with this like a monopoly problem with this mm. in the United States mm. I'm not like really down that line I have bigger problems with the telecoms getting involved in entertainment I think that there's monopolistic problems mm. with that in terms of mm-hmm. data and all of that mm-hmm. kind of stuff Mm-hmm. So I want to just throw out there that, like, I think the market needs to work in generally unfettered ways. And this kind of consolidation is what the market desires. And mm-hmm. um, from, from that point of view, I have no problem with it. But from a fan point of view, from a, a, a nerd's point of view,
2: mm-hmm.
1: anytime a company consolidates this much um, and owns this much, it, it can't – I just I just don't believe it's good. I just can't mm-hmm. believe it's good. Um, mm-hmm. the, the most optimal thing – the most optimal situation, I should say – For any entertainment is for like really every one of these IPs to be with a different company, but we don't live in that reality, right? Like there should be a company that's like entire charge is just the Simpsons because then you probably get the Simpsons the best way you could possibly get the Simpsons. You probably get the best shows and the best merch and the best games Um, and the same thing with Star Wars, right? And the same, but like we don't live in that reality. And since Mm. we live in this consolidated reality, um, I think it, it risks watering down. It risks inattention. to to detail Mm. it risks running things into the ground like they've done with star wars i think um specifically Mm. you know because you you know with star wars you're talking about a four billion dollar investment with with this you're talking about an investment more than 10 times as much Mm. Um, so they're going to want their money back and the shareholders are going to want their money back and so what are you going to get you know you're going to get a fucking lot is what you're going to get and with a lot of anything comes uh you know kind of, of a yeah like i think too much of a good thing is a bad thing yeah people that say there's no such thing as a good thing is not it's nonsense of course it's too much of a mm-hmm. good thing that's with rare exception like there's not too much of a good thing of like having too much money i guess or something like that but like too <laughs> much of a like too much of a good like i don't want more star wars you know mm-hmm. um i watched the show Shits creek this canadian show that i really love yeah um, and they announced that they're gonna end it after seven seasons they didn't get canceled they walked away mm-hmm. you know Like it's not every day that things are treated with care. Usually they're running to the ground. Usually I end up hating them. This Mm. is going to happen with uh, with some of these properties. So that's a concern.
0: Yeah, I think so. And I think the way it's sort of you know things already happen. Like you're going to lose a lot. Like we're going to get less. I think you know we yeah we're going to get more of these big budget things, but we're going to get less of this sort of uh, you know art house sort of. Films that Disney aren't interested in making, you know, there's, I think they've already laid off the thousand people or something like that, you know, places like Fox Searchlight aren't going to exist anymore. Fox 2000, um, I think they're going to, they're going to have bigger movies, a bigger budget, less, less movies, but big, bigger budgets on the movies that they put out. Um, it's initially you know, I, it's hard, like, you know, everyone's getting up uppity and excited because oh, we're going to see the X-Men, you know, and the Avengers together on the screen. It's going to be amazing, all this stuff. But I think, and and that to me, like that to me sounds appealing. Just on paper, that to me sounds appealing because I'm a big fan of the MCU. You know, they are quality movies. There are a lot of them, but I think they, they all um, go together really well. But so on paper, that to me sounds great. But I think at what cost, I think is the, the question, like, we're going to lose a lot more than what we're going to gain from this. I feel just as an over as an entertainment industry as a whole. And they, you know, what are the what are the roll-on effects to? Because obviously the big part of this, I think, is they're going to put a lot of this on Disney Plus, like their streaming service. They they now own all of the Fox properties. You know, like Family Guy, Futurama, like all of these American Dad. They're all going to end up on this streaming service that Disney push out. Um, how is it going to affect Netflix and Hulu and
1: Amazon? Well, I think
0: they own. Some of Hulu now? Yeah, now they own
1: a minority share in Hulu as well. Because mm. Hulu was a I think Hulu was Fox and NBC, if I remember correctly. Yeah. yeah. And then maybe outside investing. Yeah. Um I I here's all right, here's the way I can reduce it the most. Because I know that there's like comic book nerds out there that are excited about these short term gains, and now you're gonna get those mm. you know, fucking cyclops and <laughs> you know, and uh you know, gambit or whoever the hell it is you want. And that's perfectly mm. fine, right? Mm. But like you gotta look past like these nerd dreams. Yeah. Like that that's my whole take. And Look at the forest for the trees. And mm. the best way I can put this is like, all right, you make like, uh, 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 what was the investment against? 60 or 70 billion? 71.3 like billion. All right. 71.3 billion dollars, right? An extraordinary amount of money. Hmm. Now, you could either go and buy things with it. And that's what mm. they've done. They've mm. bought apparatuses, not only IP, but they bought like entire Jeez. filmmaking apparatuses, yeah. like entire processes, you know, mm. like that are going to allow them to make, ga- you know, uh, movies and TV shows or mm. whatever. Mm. But imagine if they took that much money mm. and just invested it in new things. Mm. Imagine if they literally took ten percent of that money, mm. so seven billion dollars mm. and made 70, 70, 100 million dollar movies mm. with new IP. Mm. You don't think that they could have like stumbled upon something in that time? Yeah, you know that's, that's what's confusing about it to me. You have all mm. of this capital and I know mm. that it's not all cash, a lot of it is stock and all that and I, I know that. Mm. but like, you have all of this money, all of these mm. minds. Disney used to be a place, you know, my brother is like re- pretty much a Disney historian. Yeah. And he always talks about how this was a place where creative people came from to create yeah. and they remained a family. And, you know, when, when things like happen, like when Don Bluth left and stuff, that was a very unusual thing. Like these guys were all about the creative process and mm. putting in the work and the sweat and, and creating new things and, and drawing from old ideas like Robin hood or whatever. And, mm. and, um, and making something, right? And now Disney is just buying it. Now mm. Disney is just buying things. Mm. And I find that very weird. And, yeah. I, 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 like, that's not inspiring to me. It's not inspiring mm. to me to go and, like, brute force your way into different markets. To brute yeah. force your fucking comic book heroes into a movie. To, to like, brute force the biggest cartoons of the last 30 years, if possibly ever, into your into your streaming service. Mm. I don't know. I don't get how that's positive for anybody except for if I was a shareholder of Disney, I'd probably be pretty stock- stoked about it. You yeah. Know? Um, yeah. So I don't. You know, and I'm a stockholder of other companies. I, I'm not here to hate on people making money. I mean, I would have voted yes on this. You mm. know, for sure. I can't imagine yeah. the fucking dividends you're going to get off of, off of this deal, uh-huh. um, especially if you've if, especially if you've been holding stock for decades. Mm. But. For me, I, I just think that there's more inspiration and more creativity in creating new things. I want new things, mm. and this money, this level of capital investment, they could have created new things a million times. You know, yeah. like yeah. literally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
0: and so and there's there's a lot of flow on as well. Like this amount of control that they have over this industry, the the sheer size of their Uh, repertoire now as far as studios you know they they can dictate terms as far as distribution of films they can push out their competitors it's it's not it's not only you know for the ip that they own it's for everyone else that still exists on the on the periphery like it's going to be a lot harder for them to get distribution into movie theaters and chains because disney gonna be able to dictate the terms because of the sheer volume of what they own so um it's yeah I, i i personally i'm not a Massive fan of it. I think it's, I think it's, I don't know. There's an air of like, it's a bit scary. Like Disney just taking over everything. Like I feel like they're just consuming everything. And I can see a reality where it's, it's just Disney. Like that's just them. Like I can see that down the track being the only entertainment source for us is the
1: Mickey Mouse. It's, it's fascinating just because when I was born in 1984, Disney was like not in good shape at mm. all. It wasn't until mm. the late '80s that Disney really had any sort of resurgence after like mm. their run of 50, movies in the '40s, '50s, and '60s. Mm. Um, and in that time, in that 34 years, they become this behemoth. Now, mm. it's, it's as I said earlier, like I don't believe in a reality where there can be such a thing as an entertainment monopoly. You know, Ho- mm. all right, hold on, something really weird's happening. My printer is just randomly printing things oh, right oh, now. Hold <laughs> on. Let me just see if I can shut this off. What is it printing? Is it a fax? Did you get a fax? Do you still fax over there? I don't know why things are printing out of my printer right now. Oh dear. Um so yeah, so sorry about that. So <laughs> no, um funny. so yeah, like uh, here, we have to separate two things, right? Like mm. there are things that are allowed to happen or can legally happen, and, and again, I don't think there's such a thing as an entertainment monopoly. I think that uh um you know you have to look at things through the lens of like this isn't really essential. These aren't like essential mm. services. Mm. Um it's just that we should be programmed to not want to see things like this happen, regardless of mm. like again the short term gains. Mm. Yeah, you're gonna get some pretty cool Marvel movies probably now, um, mm-hmm. but really does is that worth like the decades long fucking malaise that's inevitably gonna fucking overtake that entire company eventually? Mm. Um, so that's the difference. It's like we shouldn't say that that can't be. We should just mm. say that we don't want it. Um, yep. And uh, unfortunately, they have so much power that it's going to be impossible to avoid them. So th- there's no way to make them pay for this, right? Like there's no way to say like, just avoid Disney to avoid Disney. You need to avoid ESPN. You need yeah. to avoid also ABC. like, yeah, you need to avoid ABC. You need to avoid Hulu. You need mm. to avoid like, it's impossible. Mm. It's totally impossible. Mm. Now you need to avoid Fox. Like, like, <laughs> so I I don't know. I, I'm just from a, I'm a creative person. You're a creative person. Mm-hmm. I think creativity can come out of big corporations. It does all the time. Mm. Um, But I think that creativity is most usually fostered and new things are usually fostered off the grid with very little money um, Mm. and no backing and probably even no belief in it. And now Mm. Disney just has unlimited amounts of everything. And Mm. so I can't wait to see fucking Indiana Jones 17 times. And I can't wait to see uh, every Star Wars TV show and cartoon. We already had to deal with that. Now we can get, like, 17 Marvel movies a year, and now we can have, you know, 5,000 theme parks, and Disney World can be, you know, fucking 5 million acres in Florida, you know? Like, at what point does this not become cute anymore? Mm -hmm. Like, why is this – that's the thing. Is like Disney has this cultish fan base, but why? What are you a fan of? What what part of it are you a fan of? Mm -hmm. Because it's it's a completely – it's incomprehensible. (laughs) <laughs> you know, like yes, there's people that are exactly. like, I'm a big Disney fan. It's like, okay, which bit? <laughs> so you like American Idol? Like, I don't know what that means. You know? <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. So yeah, I, I mean, I know that people are excited about this. People were excited, but I, I said the same exact thing when Disney acquired Lucas. You know, I was mm. like, this is uh and Marvel. I was like, this mm. is. um I don't think you're gonna like this. Mm. You know, like, and mm. lo and behold, people don't really like Star Wars right now. You know, and lo and no. behold, um you know i mean they even d- killed some you know star wars movies because people were so yeah they've sat they've pulled it right back
0: you know after which is a sh- like i i i mean i didn't like the last jedi um but i loved solo i thought solo was great and i was excited to see more of that and then they kind of unfortunately i think it was a it was a solo was a mixture of things that went wrong it was i think it was released at a terrible time like right between deadpool and infinity war it was not marketed very well i didn't feel um and it just didn't do as well and as a result of that they they have pulled the star wars sort of releases right back um
1: yeah you're, you're right i mean it, it is a shame you're right and i don't know i i just per, per star wars specifically i really thought rogue one was exceptional and i mm. and i liked solo a lot like mm. i was really surprised by mm, how good it was lie. Yeah. Um. And uh, it almost makes me wish that like episode seven and eight didn't exist, and that these new Star Wars movies were just these little stories. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Instead of like going and ruining all these characters that they they're they're in, intent on ruining now, um. Mm, yeah. You know they can they can tell all, they fill in all these other unique and interesting stories. Um. I thought Rogue One was like the best Star Wars movie since like 1983. You know, mm, uh, it was great. oh it was awesome, dude. It mm, was so awesome. Mm. Oh, I loved it, was. it. It was a war movie. Yeah, yeah it's so cool. It was, yeah. it was so cool. Yeah. 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 I agree. I agree. Well, so now, now I'm talking about the, the things Disney can do right. I guess, I guess I'm yeah. being a little bit of a hypocrite. Do
0: you, do you think we get the, uh, just do, final note on this? Do you think they re-release the original, like non fucked, non musical number, original star Wars with the, the same like ghosts and not the like force ghosts or whatever you want to call them. And not Hayden Christensen at the end. Do you think they, they do that? Do you think we get those?
1: Yeah. We'll get those out of the Disney vault at some mm. point you know uh yeah for sure i mean disney's the master first of all disney is like literally the master of just releasing random shit and then pretending they don't exist for 20 years and then re-releasing them again right so yeah, yeah, um like the disney vault i don't know if you guys had the same commercials but the disney vault stuff was like a joke when i was a kid like yeah it, b- grab uh you know whatever bambi before it goes back into the disney vault forever yeah, you know? it's yeah like, i remember what the?
0: that yeah they yeah. re-release it and then you'd never be able to get it again
1: Right. And so they'll do something like that with Star Wars, I, I would assume. I think the biggest move, the biggest Star Wars move that they're gonna do is they're gonna let George Lucas come in and direct one of the movies. That's oh, really? that's the that's the thing I think's gonna happen. And I'm a, I'm kind of like into that idea. Yeah, there's a you know, morbid like,
0: side of me that wants to say that.
1: Um like there was a rumor that there was like talks of that happening a while ago. Mm. Um mm. and I don't think those rumors come out of nowhere. I don't know, maybe it mm. just didn't happen. Um but mm. it would be fun to like let like at this point. Yeah. I mean, well. episode eight is really no better than the previous. So, at, we so had, at this point, why not? You know? Yeah, we had <laughs> Luke Skywalker milking
0: a space cow. It can't get much worse than that.
1: Yeah, exactly. So, exactly. So, I mean, uh, that's that's the power move that I want to see Disney make because I think that'd be fucking awesome. Yeah, that'd be good to say at this point. Yeah. Uh, very good. Uh, before we wrap up, Colin, we have
0: a uh, handful of listener questions. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, sure. They're all pretty much directed at you because no, you're a interesting person and people don't care about me. So this <laughs> is, Oh, that's not, I'm sure they do. Thank you. Uh, so our first question and this one, i w I'm not even going to be able to uh, contribute to. So this one's fully for you, uh, at carnage wake on Twitter asks your thoughts on workforce participation, 62% underemployment part-time involuntary, 71%. Should States compete for companies, declining social mobility markets that are inherently non-competitive ex electricity, internet, the Midwest urbanization. Those are those, mm. that to me was just a lot of words put together. Yeah. The,
1: all right. So I I I don't know about the last half of it. What he's mm. saying in the in the front is work. So workforce participation is really low in the United States, which is a problem. Mm. What it, what it basically means is that sixty two percent of Americans work, like mm. a, a, adult oh, adult wow. Americans, um, and uh, that rate is really <laughs> important because. The unemployment rate is 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 relevant to people looking for work versus people that find jobs, not people okay. that can work versus right. people that find jobs. That that that's a different thing. Um, so huh. that's why the unemployment numbers are always like not really reliable. Yeah. Like if you have an if you have a five percent unemployment rate, uh, I don't know that that's really true. Because yeah. there are people that stopped looking, and this was a yeah. this was a conversation that happened specifically after the recession. So this is a thing, um, and part time work or the so called gig economy is mm-hmm. another thing that people have been really kind of denigrating, and I think to some degree rightfully so because it's basically creating like a I don't know how you put this like eloquently, like almost like a surf class. Um, and and I understand what that means basically like people that are indentured, um, in some voluntary way. But like in ways that really can't mobilize them socioeconomically if you're driving an uber car and that's all you're able to do because there are no jobs because robots are taking them and and jobs are being shipped overseas and et cetera Mm. and so on Mm. then you'll work part-time as an uber driver just to get by you're not going to be counted in workforce participation because you don't work a full-time job and Mm. you're one of this growing number of people that are working in the gig economy in a part-time capacity um, hmm. These are scary economic indicators in the United States, but they're not unique to the United States. They're everywhere in the Western world um, in the developed world. So these are things that need to be kept an eye on because uh, displacement. You know Andrew Yang is very famously in the United States right now talking a lot about um, automation and displacement mm-hmm. and uh, UBI and all you know universal basic income and all that kind of stuff. These things, these numbers are underneath the, the labor data we get in the United States that are really important to watch. And I bet if you looked in Australia, you'd find very similar numbers. Yeah, um, right. Yeah,
2: I've so never heard of it. Uh, as
1: far as the What's second half that? of that, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure exactly what he was going for, but uh, thank you so much for the question,
0: Carnage Wake. Uh, next question comes from at Aparo Didaro on Twitter and asks, "What is the difference? What what is different from the socialism current progressives are pushing compared to the social social? Yeah, compared to the socialism that has failed in the past. It in what ways will socialism
1: fail the U.S.?" Socialism is just being redefined. This is one of the mm. major things that bothers me. Mm. Um, socialism is about means of control of production. That's what it means—collective mm. control. Um, yeah. People think that that's what communism means, but that's not what communism means. Communism is really like taking it a step further about, you know, from each according to you know to each according to his needs, from each according to his ability. You know, that's mm. like base, the basic tenet of you know kind of the utopian communist state. But socialism is about means of, of production and the control of that means of production. People say that, like, socialism works all over the world and all these different places. But you're really talking about social programs. Yeah. And I wouldn't disagree with that. You know, mm-hmm. of course they work. Like, mm-hmm. uh, the the Social Security, which is from the 1930s in the United States, almost 100 years old, changed the reality of elderly Americans forever. Um, mm. And Medicare, which is from 1965, is the same thing. Now, when you're not, when you're 65 years old, you literally just have insurance for the rest of your life. Yeah. Um, so these are not these are not socialist programs; they're collective programs, and we mm-hmm. need to like talk about those in in different ways. And I'm not necessarily opposed to them. I don't think that I would have been for either of the programs when they passed, but they exist and people rely on them, and you just can't get rid of them. Mm. Um, socialism, though, is interesting in the sense that when Socialism is conflated with democratic socialism or so-called democratic socialism in a more equitable economy. People like Bernie Sanders often refer to Scandinavian countries and European countries, Denmark, for instance. And then what you see, and it's never really reported, is that like Denmark, you know, Danish uh, uh, politicians, for instance, come back and say like, hey, dude, like we don't want to be involved in like the way you're talking about what we do over here. You know, like we're capitalists. Yeah. And it's really interesting to see that pull and push and pull. Mm. A lot of Americans are being lied to about what this all means. Yeah. Um and collectivism I I resist general collectivism just from a core tenet and and socialism as it's being described now in contemporary yeah. terms is something that I am completely against. Um yeah. I'm I'm against high taxes uh, I'm against the nanny state. I'm against free things from the government, with rare exception. If what the government says, if the, if the processes that the government goes through is to say, hey, when you become 65 years old, you get a little bit of a uh, some money from the government every month and you get health insurance. OK, fine. Hmm. You know, but like saying like you get free college, lowering the age of Medicare so that everyone gets Medicare, um, yeah. things like the Green New Deal, $93 trillion in new spending, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. It's just not viable. Even even if you take and half that number, Hmm. let's say it's forty million or forty trillion rather, that's uh, ten times more than the government spends a year. Yeah, right. Like, um, it's it's money that like doesn't even exist basically. Hmm. Hmm. So that's the concern I have with this modern strand of so-called socialism, is Hmm. that it really just means like punitive taxation for the rich and for the wealthy. So that everyone gets whatever they want. I mean, that's the way it's basically spoken about. No, oh, yeah. you want to go to college? Okay, great. I yeah. had to pay my college loans. You can go to college though for free, and I'll pay for that too. Mm. You know, um, I just I'm just I have a problem with it, and yeah. uh, I have a problem with the way we talk about it in the United States. And I want to be very clear that if these things work for other societies, more power to you. Mm. This is America, <laughs> and like we have a different way of doing things here. Mm. Um, we are a fundamentally capitalist rugged bootstrap society and i'm gonna mm. fight these things maybe i'll lose the fight it's not mm. gonna be a physical fight i'll fight you with the ballot box mm. um if this vision of the united states wins out i i mean i will see what happens at that point i can't imagine that it's going to you know um yeah but i don't think it would be good for the united states for this vision to win out and so i'm willing uh to fight it tooth and nail in any way i can like mm. absolutely and and by the way there's there's um parts of this where we can have compromise i think the, the conversation around ubi is fascinating not because mm. i necessarily agree with it but because at least it's dealing with a practical problem in somewhat of a practical way yeah. you know um yeah. i have problems with its inflationary cycle i think introducing you know that much money into and liquid money into the economy is obviously going to raise prices for everything um mm. it's a it's it's, it's going to be punitive to the middle class it'll be punitive if you have a 401k if you have investments it's just obviously going to be punitive if you're wealthy um, yeah. so I have major problems, but at least people are having serious conversations. And, um, so I'm always open to it and I'm actually open to me- to, um, to socialize medicine. I just want someone to like produce the numbers that make it work. That's all. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I've
0: always found like socialism, so- socialism, and, and these, a lot of these ideas around, you know, free this, free that to be almost like fantasy, like like pie in the sky, uh, perfect world type ideas. But how does it actually happen? Like I've never... I've never really got, it. I'm like, how do you make all of that? Yeah. it all sounds great. Yeah. Free this, free that. Like, yeah, of course, who wouldn't want everything for free, but how are you actually going to make it work? I've always found that to be the interesting sort of counterpoint to that.
1: You know, I just don't understand what people like, how much do you want out of the rich? Mm. That's my only question, right? <laughs> There's a fundamental misunderstanding amongst many people about how taxes even fundamentally work about mm. why people pay the taxes that they do. Mm. Um, People are like, oh, company X didn't pay any taxes this year. And it's like, yeah, you fucking genius. Company X didn't make a profit. Mm. You don't pay taxes (laughs) on revenue. You pay taxes on profits. Mm. You know, Companies pass through their taxation (laughs) to their employees. That's why you pay taxes. They pay taxes on the money that they profited, not the Mm. money spent in the pursuit of profit. People Mm. don't even understand what they're talking about. And then they want to talk about how taxes should be and structuring taxes like they understand any of it. You know, between you know, I do decently well for myself, and I'm really proud of what I've built. Um, and you know, I have investments, and you know, I sold my company, my old company, and uh, all of this. But between my business and my personal stuff and stuff, I, I pay taxes. How much more do you want from me? You know, like Jesus. How much more money do you want? Mm. You know, like that's the thing yeah. that I'm confused about. And so, you know, my business is being hammered in, in, in taxes. By especially by the state of California, how much more money do you want from me? Mm. You First know, like I, so I, bizarre. The yeah, the whole the whole system,
0: especially here in Australia, it's it's. I feel like it's broken and it's backwards. Like we we don't incentivize people to work hard; we penalize them um, in a lot of different ways. For instance, child like oh, child use childcare as an example. We we have a um a young son. I have a young son. He's three years old. He's in childcare, which is ridiculously expensive. You know, we pay thousands of dollars a year for it to put him in four days a week. My partner works four days a week. We have him in childcare four days a week, and she has Fridays off and spends it with him. She can't actually, because of the way it works with like rebates and getting money back from the government, this, that, and the other. If we, if she was to go back to work full time and work five days a week, we would actually go backwards in money that we would have at the end of the year because we would, one, we get taxed more and we would pay a lot more, we'd lose like a benefit that we get from the the rebates from the childcare so we actually go backwards there's no incentive for her to work an extra day work more put more into the economy we're actually penalized for doing that um another example i always talk about a friend of mine is a um a financial advisor and he worked he used to work in a firm with a heap of financial advisors and at certain points in the year his colleagues would just stop working because they knew if they earn another cent they're going to they're actually going to go backwards in in revenue because of the tax that they they'll pay it's there's the incentive to work hard and and earn more money just doesn't exist you actually we actually penalize people for doing that i've always found that so fascinating and just backwards in the way that it works
1: well it's fascinating in the sense that like we give credence to people that just don't know what they're talking about right like Mm. uh alexandria ocasio-cortez i know is like a big rock star she has no fucking idea what she's talking about None. Mm. none none no idea about how money works about how taxes work and hey i didn't understand what i understand now until i really had to understand it but the question, I, the question I continue to ask is, in a society, and I can't speak for Australian society, but in a society like America, where the richest 1% are already paying more than 80% of tax revenue, hmm. you know, where the bottom 50% of people in the United States or so actually are net receivers of tax money, they actually get hmm. more than they pay in, what more do you want? Yeah. Like, I, I just I'm just confused. Like, OK, raise taxes on the rich a few more percent. I, I don't think you understand. It's to your point. Like people will st- like there are people in positions of of um, of income right now of productivity that will stop working. Hmm. You know, if you if you if you because they don't really need to work anymore. No. And and then with their gen with with when they stop generating, you know, I'm not a, a, a firm believer in trickle down economics, but money does trickle down from the top to the bottom. I mean, it does, it does happen. I mean, of course, it does. Mm. That's what capitalism is: is the money just is literally it's like a pachinko machine, yeah, it's just trickling <laughs> yeah. down. You know, yep. but the problem is that a lot of those pegs are taxes. Yep. A lot of those pegs are regulations. Mm. At some point, like my business is taxed just for existing, regardless of how much money it makes. Right? Mm. I then have to pay the state of California. I'm a pass-through corporation, so the federal government needs to be paid. Then uh, I, I take dividends or whatever. I have to be taxed on that. I obviously have to 1099 my employees. Then when I get the cash in my pocket, if I go buy something in Santa Monica, it's 10% sales tax. Yeah. You know, It's like at what point mm. is enough enough? Yeah. Um, and this is why I'm a real firm believer in t- one of two things, either a flat yeah. income tax or yeah. a value-added tax that replaces income tax. If yep. you want to get the rich, then get them on luxury purchases. Or yep. if you want to be totally fair and equitable, everyone just pays the same percentage. Everyone. Yep. yep. You know, and I think that percentage could be 10%, 20%, whatever you want. to – You make $10,000, you owe $1,000. You make a billion dollars, right? You make mm-hmm. a, you know an exorbitant amount of money, then you're going to pay an equivalent amount of money. It's a lot yep. of money, you know? Yep. Um but I'm really a, a big believer in the value added tax because um uh, on non-essentials because i basically think that if you have a situation where you don't pay any taxes on food on lodging on clothing or on fuel and mm. it's literally on everything else then mm. you literally could live a tax-free environment if you are a working class or an impoverished person or if you're a working middle class and you have kids you can literally avoid paying taxes you know yeah. but but the, yeah. but to have but to have something like that a reality we need to get our spending in check yep. and that requires a smaller government that requires a smaller military um, that requires fewer governmental departments that requires fewer employees, hmm. you know? Um, but you could, you could do that. It's just that we don't yeah. want to do that. So, yeah. you know, I'm not, I'm not, people think my no ta- my no taxation Twitter account is reference to, I don't believe in taxes. It's actually a reference <laughs> to the American revolution. Um, hmm. and, uh, I do believe in taxes. I think it's part of the social, um, the social contract. I absolutely believe that it's been part of the social contract for thousands of years. It's not unique, yeah. you know? No. Um, but i believe that like our tax money should be judiciously collected and judiciously spent and uh, without those things being a reality i have no interest in partaking in further socialist endeavors in the united states from a a, a governmental bureaucratic apparatus that is completely fucking inept completely inept (laughs) in every way you know Mm. we can you just just watch just look Mm. the government doesn't do anything better than than a fortune 500 company does
0: yeah you know yeah, they're out of control. They are out of control. A uh, next question comes from Facebook and is from Ashley Hobley, and he asks, "Who is going to win the AFL Premiership this year?" Uh, what is that? Is that Australian
1: rules <laughs> yes, football? Australian rules rule p- football. Uh, I, 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 the team from Perth. Oh, okay. Is going to win. Is that a, is that, a is that a reasonable guess? I don't know. I don't.
0: There's two teams in know. Perth, but one of them won last year. Well, so. Oh, uh, okay. Oh, well, I didn't know that. Yeah.
1: I just wanted yeah. to. I just selected a, a, a city.
0: You, uh, you did well. It was close. No, thank you. Was good. Yeah,
1: Perth. Perth's gonna
0: win it all again. <laughs> have, have you ever have you ever partaken in Aussie Rules football? Have you ever watched and have you seen any Aussie Rules football?
1: Yeah, no, I've watched it. I, I think it's really interesting. Actually, some players migrate to the NFL. Mm. Um, uh, we I can't remember his name. Our punter. Ben, uh, ben Graham? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Ben Graham. Yep. That's yep. exactly right. The Jets punter for a long time was an Australian's rule football player. Yep. Um And he was a fucking beast. You yeah. know the punter. The punter usually, and I don't know if you watch the NFL, but yeah. the the pun the punter sometimes punters hit, but usually they stand back and they're usually like built like me almost, mm. um, where they're like not very big and they'd be broken if they tried to tackle someone. But Ben Grant yeah. was all up in it. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. So that's my major tether. Is when we got him, then I started looking into it a little bit. It's a very interesting sport. It, you know, it's mm. it's like cricket and a few other sports though, where I'm like, I really don't know if I get it.
0: You know, yes. like I'm watching
1: it. You know, usually you can, if you watch something enough, you can discern the rules, right? And like mm-hmm, figure mm-hmm. it out. And like these mm-hmm. things are on late at night in the United States, and, and I'm up late at night. So sometimes I'm like watching, you know, ESPN 2 and it's like a cricket match or something.
0: And yeah. I'm
1: like, and I'm like I don't know if I get this. Like I watch an entire match. Yeah. I'm like I think I get it. Like yeah. I didn't really even get tennis scoring until I was like an adult. So it's gonna, <laughs> I'm a little bit slow with some of this shit. It's gonna take a little bit of time. But, uh, but it, you know, I love that different parts of the world have their own sports. You know, I think that's yeah. really cool.
0: Yeah. Aussie rules is probably the most over-officiated sport on the planet. Um, but I love, like, it's my favorite sport. It's my sort of, it's like my religion. Um, I I think it's, so the way I describe it is kind of a mixture between basketball, rugby, ice hockey, and kind of NFL. Um, but probably more, yeah, like ice hockey, rugby, and basketball in, in the way that sort of, Play, play flows and that kind of thing um mm. but once you kind of get it i, I think i I'm, I'm biased obviously but i think it's the best sport in the world it's exciting and athletic and hard and um yeah it's a it's a it's, If you've ever in australia I'll, t- I'll take you to a game it's a oh, i love that
1: the only reason i've never come to australia is because i just the flight is so fucking long uh, yeah it's, yeah
0: it's 15 16 hours something like that so it's a, it's a long haul yeah 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 it is it very much is uh, our next question comes from Zoe Riley, and she asks, Colin, your most challenging interview you've ever done, either because of differing
1: opinions or a difficult person? That's a good question. Um, I think some of the most challenging ones I've done are all the religion-based fireside chats I've done. I'm a really mm-hmm. huge fan of r- like uh, religious studies, I guess. I- I'm an atheist, mm-hmm. but I like talking about religion. I find mm-hmm. those conversations really difficult because... Um, you want to you be both like
0: be respectful you, at the same time. Exa- yeah.
1: Exactly. And I never yeah. want to come off as anything, but mm. um but there are just certain fundamental things that I think are ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um and trying to structure respectful conversations around those can be challenging, but I think I yep. do it somewhat effectively. Um mm. you know, because I do respect the the one thing I, I want with my religious guests specifically is is intellect. Actually the smartest people, like PhDs and master's degrees and stuff. They all, all of those people have been the religious guests, which is interesting. Yep. Um, right. because I know that they can challenge me mm-hmm. and uh, and I can challenge them, so I, I find those the most difficult conversations. You know, recently with fireside chats, I've had a few guests that um, I've been getting a little fast and loose with like letting people come on the show without really forming it. Um, mm-hmm. and and it's not working out great. I've actually killed a few episodes mid recording. Um, really? yeah, because I'm just like, it's not, this is not working. Um, and so. Uh, those have been challenging for different reasons. I just, I need to make the show more focused. And actually next week, I'm going to release a list of topics that I want to cover and, and, and cordially invite anyone who wants to cover those topics uh, to come on the show. So I'm excited about very that. Good.
0: Excellent, excellent. Uh, and our last question comes from Greg Alexander. And this is a very uh, specific question to yourself, Colin. And he says... My dream is to become a firefighter, and I wanted to know what it was like having a father as a firefighter. Did it put a strain on the family unit? Was it stressful knowing that he potentially wouldn't come home? Would you miss him slash resent him if he wasn't home for days like Christmas, etc.? As someone with a young son and hopefully more kids to come, I worry that even though what I want to do will be great for the community, I wouldn't want it to negatively impact my life or family life.
1: Yeah, it's an interesting question. My dad, as I'm sure much of my audience knows, is a, a retired now New York City firefighter. So mm-hmm. I did grow up in a firefighter's house. Uh, firefighters do what are called tours. Um, and they last uh, in New York City between 72 and 96 hours, which means that they're basically working for that long. Um, and then they usually get an equivalent time or so off. Uh, so there would be times where my dad would be gone for three or four or five days at a time. And then he would come home um, and be around for a little while. But he was very much a workaholic. My dad um, is a unique case in the sense that... Um, His workaholism definitely ruined his marriage to my mom. Hmm, Um, hmm. You know, my dad, I mean, just to put it into context for you guys, like my dad worked full time as a New York City firefighter. He did iron working on the side. He did stuff like chimney sweeping on the side. Um, He was the, he was, there's a, it's now closed, but there was a chain of grocery stores in New York called Wallbaums. um, And he was the, he was a produce manager at a Wallbaums supermarket. (laughs) While he was a firefighter in New York City, while he was doing ironworking, while he was doing, you know, some chimney sweep stuff and whatever. Like, um, so my dad's a unique story in that he was a complete workaholic and we never saw him. Mm. Um, and that, you know, that changed in the nineties. My dad got hurt in a fire, went on light duty. And ultimately by nine 11, he was on light duty. And then he retired, I think, uh, fully mm. and then worked for the fire department in different capacities. So, um, but if you ask my older siblings, I'm the youngest of four, Uh, It was very challenging. My dad wasn't really an everyday part of life. My mom Mm. was. Um, Mm. And so that comes with the territory. But I know plenty of firefighters through my dad, of course, and plenty of firefighter families that I grew up around and with. Um, And there are plenty of successful nuclear family units um, in the FDNY as well. So I think it's really about the individual and about the expectations of the spouse and about Mm. the expectations of the children. It requires um, risk. I mean, I will say that it wasn't until 9-11 that I I realized that my dad could have died. And that's embarrassing yeah. to say because I was fucking 16 years old by the time I realized yeah. that my dad could have died in a fire, you know? Hmm. Um, and this is – like I rode to my dad with a fire once. I, I think I told the story in one of my uh, – one of my story. like I saw it with my own eyes, like what they do. Yeah. I was in the fire truck. And uh, um, and I still never made the – because my dad was like a superhero to me. So yeah, I was like my dad think... is in – yeah, he's impervious. Anything, he's completely yeah. impervious to this, yep, right? Yep. But then when he he actually hurt his hands in 1995, and he fell in a fire mm. um, and really hurt his hands bad. Um, mm. He's had, like, you know, dozens of surgeries on them and stuff. He His hands would get so cracked and dried and so fucked up that he would dip his hands basically in Vaseline and then wrap mm. them in diapers before no he wow. went to bed in order to, like, let the moisture and, like, the... You know like they were bleeding yeah. and so i should have even realized then like that he dodged a bullet but what's yeah. ironic and this is not ironic in a, in a positive well, ironic in a positive way for me but not my, my dad's firehouse in brooklyn um lost a few so guys, didn't it they all the everyone that was on duty that day was yeah. dead um and the reason for that is because for people that don't know new york geography world trade center is in lower manhattan in battery uh and Brooklyn is, you know, lower Manhattan firehouses, midtown Manhattan firehouses and Brooklyn firehouses were the ones that could quickly get there. Firehouses mm. that were in the Bronx or in Queens or Uptown, Staten Island couldn't get there quickly. Mm. So a lot of Brooklyn firehouses paid the ultimate price that day. And if mm. my dad didn't get hurt in that fire, he would have been on full duty and he would have died. Yeah. So that's so the weird thing is, is that because he was on light duty and it was on his road to retirement and all of that because of his hand inju- his hands injury, um, he's still with us today. So it's weird how uh, how the world works in that way. So you just the point of this is is you you just never know. Um, mm-hmm. That's why firemen should be well compensated and well respected in their communities. It's
0: sliding doors, isn't it? It's that the oh, like, you know the old butterfly effect. It's one little one little thing that happened. Well, not a little thing, obviously. That was quite a major mm. thing that happened to your dad. It's you know down the track, six years down the track, saved his life.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and and it's incredibly sad. I mean, he he lost a lot of people that day, including his best friend Tommy Quebecus, mm. Um who was on duty at his firehouse that day and they never found his body. And he was the last, uh, the last fireman of the 343 buried. I was there. Um, it was in May of 2002. Um, and uh, my biggest memory of that event was he had a daughter who I knew not very well, but we had known each other. She, she was a year older than me and she had just started college. Oh, right. Um, and, uh, they, when nine 11 happened and I remember her hysterically crying, um, at the funeral, Obviously. And uh, that's the other side of the coin. That's the mm. other side of the valor coin. You know what I mean? Mm. That that it leaves people behind. And I couldn't help but think of myself in that moment um, as selfish as that is that that could have been me. Um, mm. So you got to go in with your eyes wide open anything yeah. can happen in a fire As my dad always says like fire my dad knows everything about fires so he can talk about fire specifically <laughs> fires forever mm. right like about how they work how they act and how they're you know how they escalate and what you do and the tools you need and man he'll tell you over and over again these things act in wily ways and you mm. need to be um it's like what happened recently um he and i were talking about the firemen um i don't know if you guys read about it in australia but in the california wildfires there was this entire group of elite firefighters that were dispatched Um, from another area that got surrounded by the wildfire and all died, you know? Um, And they are like the elite, like the cream of the crop. Hmm. So you and they got trapped. Hmm. And so you just never know. It's a very, very harrowing profession. And I didn't realize the full gravity of it until I was an adult. And I doubt your kids will either. (laughs) That's Hmm. the reality of the situation. Yeah. Well, there you go, Greg. So I guess just, I don't know.
0: What what advice would you have for Greg then? Be... I mean, Open if and that's, honest with you, your family or shield them yeah, from you,
1: it, or no, I think you got to be honest. I I, I think mm-hmm. it's like be, I think it's like being a cop. I mm. grew. Up, I don't know about you, but I grew. up... Well, cops are a little different in Australia. Your cops aren't armed, right? Like, oh no, we are. Yep. The, oh, you are armed. Okay, and yep. and and, and yep. violent crime, obviously, and gun crime is a big thing in the United States. So I knew some. Mm. You know, I was friends with some kids who had cops dads and they were pretty open about the things Mm. that they saw and the the trials and tribulations that they went through my dad's a little bit more of a stoic dude and a quiet guy he's a very religious man and all that um and uh so he didn't talk that much but he talks a lot more as an adult now and when we ask him stories that might also play into the reality of why we were just a little more ignorant of it that might be Mm. the right play for Mm. all i know is to keep your kids ignorant but if i were you if this was my passion if this was what i want to do i want to be honest with my family certainly your spouse is going to know I might yeah. not come home one day. Make sure to have everything set up. Make sure to have your life insurance and your savings accounts and your will and all that kind of stuff. This is not a normal job. You're not going to an office and pushing papers around. You, you have to go in wise, eyes wide open. And I think it's right to let your kids know when it's old, when they're old enough to know yes. this is serious. You know? Um, yeah. yeah. That way you don't Absolutely. leave – you don't want – you know, I'll tell you what, man. I'm really mm-hmm. lucky. You know, I used to fight with my dad a lot when I was in high mm-hmm. school. And I'm really lucky that I didn't leave it with him in a way that I left it with him sometimes overnight, for instance. Yeah. And then the next day, nine eleven happens, and he would have died. And I left it like that with him. You gotta like be honest with people, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 As as, as fucking harrowing and as depressing as that sounds, I think it's I think it's important. Yeah, no, I agree a
0: hundred percent. And I can speak from experience. Uh, well. Ended on a uh, on a high note, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> boys and girls. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of It Is What It Is. This has been a product of 8-Bit, and you can find all of our content over at 8bit.net or search the 8-Bit Collective hashtag on Twitter. And please, if you can spare a dollar or two, it would mean the world to us if you could head on over to patreon.com slash weare8bit and, uh, and give, a, uh, give your support. You get access to the 8-Bit cast uh, two weeks early. If not, you can continue to enjoy all of our content for free. And you can follow us on Twitter Colin is at no taxation. I am at Cruzy underscore mate. And 8 bit is at we are 8 bit on all of the socials. Colin, please tell the kids listening
1: where they can find all of your amazing content and how they can support you. Yeah, the easiest way is to just go to patreon.com/slash Collins Last Stand, and you you don't have to be a supporter. Everything is free eventually, except for some of the perks that are exclusive to the uh, the patrons. But that's just the easiest way. Even if you don't want to support, to just see everything, and you can you know spread out from there. The podcasts are on podcast services, etc. So um, you can check it out. And I, I really appreciate you having me on. Thank you. Oh, mate, it's been an absolute pleasure. Absolute pleasure. And
0: remember, if you've enjoyed this show, ladies and gentlemen, head on over to iTunes, give us a subscribe, leave us a review. Helps get the word out about us. And do the same for Colin's Last Stands podcasts, fireside chats, knockback, and sacred symbols. And if you've got any questions for myself or my guests for next week, you can always email us at our email. It is what it is at 8bit.net or hit us up on the uh, aforementioned socials. And shout out, as always, to our wonderful sponsors, Audio Technica, for hooking the 8-Bit Collective up with all the best audio gear in the business. Make sure you head on over to www.audio-technica.com.au for everything you need in the way of audio gear. Colin, it has been an absolute honour and a privilege to talk with you this evening. This is, without a doubt, the highlight of my podcasting career. So thank you so much.
1: Oh, that's very kind of you to say, please blow, please, please, keep blowing smoke on my ass. It's great. Um, no, no, I, I, uh, this has really been a lot of fun. It's been nice to talk to you and uh, happy to come back in the future. So, uh, yeah, thank you again. I'd love that. I'd love that. Until next time, friends.
0: It is what it is.